Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hey, race fans, Hall of Famer Daryl Walter here. You know, it's time to drop the green flag on another edition of Meaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pacematic. So, hey, pull those belts tight one more time. Here's my buddy Hermie Sadler and Senator Bill Stanley. Boogity, boogity, boogity. Let's see what they have to say, boys and girls. Hi, everybody. I'm Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley, and I'm leaning right. And I'm former NASCAR driver and Fox Sports analyst Hermie Sadler, and I am turning left. This is another edition of Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pacemat. Hey, Hermie. Senator, how you doing, bud? Doing good, buddy. How are you? Do you know that this is our 20th podcast episode? Really? 20. Can Already. you believe it? It just has flown by, hasn't it? 20. I mean, just like talking to you and I, as we normally do on the telephone, this is just every day now. I we, look forward to it. We've had some interesting guest and today will be no different uh you know you come always to the fore with the guests um and then just like you said uh before we came here a couple days back stanley you get the guest and uh usually i say no you get the guest and then you went no you get the guest so i got the guest and i I think you're going to enjoy who it is it's a controversial character in the virginia legislature a, a guy who has done about everything uh, that there is to do in life. Uh, he loves life. He's passionate. Um, he's not afraid of controversy. He's not afraid of speaking his mind or standing up against those even in his party when he disagrees with them. Uh, he's loved by a lot of people and not loved by some people. Uh, that's Senator Joe Morrissey, a friend I've had for 25 years. Yeah, look forward to hearing from Joe. I've talked to Joe on several occasions, mostly about our ongoing issue as it relates to skill gains, mostly before uh, we filed the lawsuit uh, last June. But he's an interesting character. He's uh, not afraid to let his views be heard. He's not afraid to fight. And he is a lightning rod in a lot of ways uh, to, um, you know, to the uh, Senate over there in in Virginia. So I look forward to hearing from Joe, talking to Joe, and we'll throw some questions at him, as will our guest again this week. We we must we we need to set the set the stage for where we are. We're at Boyd Chrysler Dodge Jeep in South Hill, Virginia, and I'll go ahead and say it for the purpose of this of this podcast, the man in charge. Oh, here. oh wait, I thought I met the real man in charge. This guy's in charge? <laughs> oh, that's just Brandon uh, Brian Boyd. Just because his name's on the bid doesn't mean he's in charge. He can't hear us right now. He so cannot that, hear right us now, right now. Shep is in charge. So for right now, uh, we are bringing back, by popular demand, Yes, the one, the only, Shep Moss, who is, wears many hats, not only sales manager here at Boyd Chrysler Dodge Jeep, and Ram. And Ram. But also a member of town council here in South Hill that he, uh, many of the issues that we're fighting statewide, he is working on bringing attention to locally. And so we want to continue that narrative. So we appreciate you joining us again well, this well, week. Well, thanks for having me. And I think after last week's podcast, 
Uh, we've lit a little fire under somebody's uh, butt, and I think we're going to get some things addressed here in, in, our, in our county. Well, and that's great, too, and that's what part of this podcast is all about, making yes. people think, make, making people talk, and making people react. You know, and I drove by on my way in here from Franklin County, uh, right by a little shop uh, with a sign out front said Memory Makers. And if I remember correctly, that's your business, too. Isn't it a cool spot? It is a cool spot, except right across the street is the sign that says Butts and Butts. And it wasn't a gentleman's club. <laughs> no, that's a, a law firm. Oh, really? Now, see, I'd be advertising the heck out of that. You want some butts? Come here, you'll get some butts. You know, that's what, that's what you got to trade on. Do they do something like that? Like, we kick butts at butts and butts? Uh, that that could be a good tagline. Hey, listen, me. tell me, give me a call. I can help them out. Yeah, I, I think like this that. stuff all the time. I, I would love, that. actually, I would love for you to have a conversation with Jimmy Butts. I think y'all would have a lot in common. I'd probably be giggling. You think so? No, I do not. <laughs> I'd probably go on. <laughs> I don't think that'd be a real good conversation. <laughs> oh, to Mr. be honest, Butts. Um, so, you know, I can tell you right off the bat, look, uh, I know Mr. Butts well, a nice guy. I've known him my whole life, but he is not a fan of skill games. Oh, really? And not a fan of a lot of things that I'm a fan of and probably that you're a fan of. Well, maybe I'll just stay across the street at Memory yeah, Makers. Yeah, you just stay at Memory show. Makers. That's right. <laughs> Looks like they have Spend a lot of Spend your money items. at Memory Makers and only visit butts and butts uh, upon demand. Now, now, not only is it significant, as I've just learned, that we're sitting here in a car dealership. It's kind of the halfway point for us, and we get to bring Shep on, yeah. who works here. But also, we are next door to where your auto dealership was when you were the youngest. I think you told us you were the youngest uh, franchise owner of a Chevrolet dealership in the United States. Mm-hmm. And actually, right across the way is the original building where your first dealership was. Is that right? Nope. Uh, partly right. So I'll take partly right. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I'm never that with my wife. I far. purchased <laughs> what, what was the old Fred Watkins Motor Company here in South Hill in late 1992. Right downtown. And the, the dealership was in downtown South Hill, a, a smaller, um, older fixture of the town that had been here for years and years and years. I bought that uh, in the fall of 92, heading into 93, as I was beginning my first full-time season in NASCAR. I just signed a personal service contract with General Motors. I signed my racing contract with Don Beverly. And actually, General Motors helped me negotiate with and purchase the assets of Fred Watkins Motor Company from the Watkins family and that and that dealership. And at that time, yes, at 24 years old, 23, almost 24, was the youngest GM dealer in the country at that time. Well, let's talk about that just and a little And Bill, bit. actually, I worked for Hermie during those times at that Chevrolet dealership. Is that right? But to get to, get to where we are now, so I bought that in 92, heading into 93, and Late 2005, fast forward to 2005, I bought, so Walmart had been in South Hill for some years. Walmart came into South Hill. They had a regular Walmart. They came in along that time period, 2005, 6, 7, and built a Walmart supercenter adjacent to the original Walmart. Well, I ended up coming out here. I, I really felt like we needed to move the dealership from being stuck in the middle of town and get it out around closer to the bypass and get some interstate traffic and more visibility and those kind of things. So when Walmart came in and built the Supercenter, I bought the existing Walmart building that, that they moved out of and really just moved 
a couple hundred yards. 500 yeah. yards and built a brand new building. So what's a better place to have maybe a, a dealership move to than in a Walmart building that's, guess what, right beside the new Walmart Supercenter in South Hill. So I bought the Walmart property, which includes all the land that we're sitting on now. The parking, this was the parking lot to the Walmart building that I bought. It's about four acres. And I had just started the process of getting plans drawn with General Motors and Honda to build a new building out here. And I had been talking to the Boyd family, Brandon, Brian, who you met earlier today, yes, and the dad, Charles, about selling them my car dealership. They are a family. You know, we're in multiple businesses, but the Boyd family has always been big into cars, in the car business. I had started to have some initial conversations with them. What they really wanted initially, what Charles really wanted, was just my Honda franchise. Honda. Honda franchises back in those days were really hard to come by. Right. The cars were, were valuable. The franchises were valuable. And, and, and Charles really just wanted the Honda franchise. And basically with me, it boiled down to, hey, I'm not really trying to sell. But if I'm going to sell interest in my car dealerships, not only am I going to sell the Honda franchise, I'm selling all the dealerships. And, by the way, that means I'm also selling the Walmart building that I've purchased, looking forward to an opportunity to build out here. So, make a long story short, I ended up selling everything. The, down, the downtown dealership, the building, the real estate, the Honda franchise, the GM franchise, Cadillac, Chevrolet, all that, and this Walmart property that we're sitting on right now that they have since since then built these two new buildings on in front of the existing Walmart building that I had bought and never I think I made two payments which were hefty payments <laughs> uh, on this facility but then sold it to them as well as the dealership in Emporia uh, and some other assets and things as well so um, I have nothing but uh, high praise for the Boyd family Charles, Brandon, Brian uh, and their entire family for not only making the transition smooth. But as I mentioned to you guys off air before we came on, the fact that they have taken care of my employees that I had here and some that are still here today working as well or better than I ever could have done myself. So for that, I'm thankful. It sounds like maybe we could have a turning left moment sponsored by Boyd Dodge in our future, perhaps. I mean, they're very nice for letting us do it right here in the showroom with some spanking beautiful cars. I've actually had uh, one of their general managers already take a look at maybe what my car is worth. And the caddy. I might have uh, yeah, the caddy and I might have an eye on one, but we'll see what happens. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the auto dealership, if you don't mind, because that's interesting to me. A lot of people know you, Hermie in a lot of different ways, doing a lot of different things. Car, car dealership was not something I ever contemplated and thought of. Shep, what did you do for Hermie when you were at the car dealership? Well, I was in sales. I actually, I really started at the oil company. And going way back, back in that time, the local Chrysler dealership reopened. And in a matter of 24 hours, I think Hermie lost the majority of his workforce because they went to the new dealership in town. And I'll never forget, his dad came out to the convenience store that I was, I guess, managing at the time. And uh, he said, boy, get in the car. We're going to get some lunch. 
So, you know, I'm thinking this is not going to be a good lunch. Is well, the final like Yellowstone lunch. when they say take them to yeah, the train? Yeah, I thought I was going to the train station. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the conversation just basically went. Hermes lost a lot of sales staff and work staff. You live in South Hill, go up there and work until we get some people hired, and you'll come back to the convenience store. Well, that never transpired. I came up and stayed uh, I probably for about four or five years at the car dealership. I went on to do some other things and, and have really come back full circle to the auto industry. But uh, it really was a great learning experience. Hermie was obviously super to work for. And the That's boys have been nothing but super right to work for. because he's right next to you say that. Why you well, just, how was no, Hermie, really. how was Hermie was, as an owner? I mean, I mean, well, at obviously, the time, Hermie, Herm- at that age, it's not like you have a lot of experience in the car dealership business. I did not. You know how to not. drive them, but maybe not how to sell I was them. in my mid-20s, seeing a lot of these things for the first time. And by the way, was undertaking a full-time racing career as well. I yeah. was racing full-time back in those days. So I, I needed I needed help daily to, to run the day-to-day operations. Because he wasn't the there that much. You know, if the race shop hadn't been directly behind it, and an adjoining dealership, I mean, adjoining warehouse, I don't know when we would have seen you. Really? And so, so it worked out good. So how long did you, you, you said the time period, how long were you the owner of the yeah, dealership? Yeah, uh, I bought in the fall of 92, and I ended up, I sold everything car dealership related to the Boyd family in June of 2006. Wow. 14 years. So, so during that time, I mean, let's talk about the car business a little bit. Yeah. I mean, that is actually you went through a recession. You went through some good times, some bad times, and back back again to good times. And it looks like you sold right before bad times came in 2007. What's the car dealership like back then, comparatively speaking? What's it like now? Well, uh, I do not envy at all what new car dealerships are facing in today's world. Yeah, because when we look out into the parking lot here, there's not the inventory. I see it at every car dealership that uh, I'm seeing. It's supply chain issues, I'm sure. It's delivery issues, I'm sure. Costs of cars are going up. Cost of used cars have gone up astronomically. Immensely. And so that's got to be tough. But as you were saying, Shep, you know, as general manager now, you're selling everything as soon as it comes in the lot, probably from people sight unseen out of the area who come in as soon as they know Absolutely. you have product. One of the biggest reasons that even, because initially I was against selling but one of the things that my dad taught, and I know Shep remember some of this stuff too, one of the things we had going for us in the old building in downtown South Hill was the fact that we were kind of grandfathered in, and we actually bought the Honda franchise from Hugh Hawthorne over in Victoria. And so the Honda people back in those days had no desire at all to have a standalone, standalone dealership in Victoria. So they gladly said take it and merge it in with your General Motors operation in South Hill, and that'll be a win-win. We get out of Victoria. We're in a newer building, bigger, bigger town, town, bigger area. Competitors would let themselves be. Well, what I'm saying, and so, so we were all merged in one building. So I had mechanics for General Motors and Honda and everything we were working on under one roof. Well, as we move forward to potentially moving to build out here, General Motors and Honda were both like, we we've got to have our own standalone facilities. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, to build a separate building, which, you know, back in those days was probably two, three million dollars to have a separate showroom and a separate mechanic, and a separate service department, separate parts department for this franchise. And then Chevrolet wanted their own franchise. And so we were working through, but they wanted and we've always believed in 
having everything together. If if my Honda guy, you know, was busy, great. But if he was a little slow, he could come down and walk down to the Chevrolet side and help a guy change oil or rotate tires or whatever. We always believed in, you know, sharing the expenses across the board to not put too much financial burden on one piece of the pie. Smart. But the manufacturers like General Motors, like Honda, they did they wanted to all be have their own little space. And as you see today, I mean, Brandon and what they've done here in town has just been This is one of the newest Chrysler dealerships on the East Coast. And as little inventory as we have now, new inventory, it's only because this is one of the newest dealerships. That inventory has been allocated because it's a new dealership. It's part of the the franchise agreement that they have to provide so much inventory. So we're very fortunate that we have what we do have. Any crazy things happen while you're here that uh, either you can't say, but you can give us maybe an indicator of or or say some of the wildest things that might have happened here with you and Hermie? Car um, owner, car dealer, car driver, Hermie Sadler, and his right-hand man, Shep Moss. Well, way back in the in the working with Hermie days, of course, he was doing the NASCAR. He had gotten real involved with wrestling at the time. The UWF was exploding uh, from literally Georgia to Connecticut. And uh, it was a lot of cool things going on way back then in those days. Uh, as far as here, the, the, the craziest thing here has really just been the inventory and not having vehicles to sell. I know Hermes even tried to order a vehicle. I can't even give him a date when it's going to be. Oh, wait a minute. When did it's going to even be made. Did you accept the crack truck? The what? The crack truck. The crack truck. The truck that was involved in the being stolen from a dealership? Oh, as a trade. <clears throat> as a trade. Did you take the crack Well, we truck? didn't talk about that one. Oh, really? Did you trade the Are you trying truck? to no, backdoor I, trade I, I gave that truck to Ken Hodges, the guy that works in my go-kart shop, and I took his truck because uh, it had the black GMC truck that I currently drive. has got 200-some-odd thousand miles on it. So to answer your question, no. So a theft upgraded you. A theft upgraded me and <laughs> upgraded I Ken, thought, actually. Listen, you get the crack truck. You put the crack truck in right here in this indoor uh, showroom. You highlight the crack truck. You highlight the crack truck story, which has been told on an earlier podcast in a very funny way because I made Hermie do it. I mean, that's going to bring people in to me. Maybe that's Hermie a, yeah. could autograph the dashboard for us. Or it could the, be a water crack one. pipe that but, comes look, free with the truck. I really give, on a serious note, I really give the Boyds a lot of credit. They were really willing to do something I was not willing to do at the time, and that is invest Heavily. probably on this little block of land here between here and the Honda store next door and the, the, deal, you know, the work they did in and around – I mean, they've probably spent $15 million minimum Mm. on this little corner in South Hill, Virginia. And I was not ready, willing, or able with everything I had going on in my life at that time, including a full-time job that had me gone five days a week. Uh, I never would have been able to or wanted to do that. So it was a one of those things that worked for everybody and that, they were fair to me in the negotiation. I was fair with them in that I left them a good, profitable operating business yeah. and with opportunity to, to grow. And, you know, when you look around at a small town like South Hill, even Emporia, some of the towns, you, 
if you lose to car dealerships, that's right. That's a sign that the rest of the towns when you drive by, fall behind it. Because you your dad and the sign's been ripped down and the showroom is empty. Uh, it, it is a psychological reminder of what was and what may never be right. again. You're exactly right. There, so car dealerships are so important to these small areas. Like I this. remember your dad making that comment about Lawrenceville, that when that uh, Ford Motor Company down there closed, that that was the beginning of it. Uh, beginning of the end of of the demise of Lawrence. Now, Chad is trying to give you some of these awkward looks and hand yeah. signals again. No, we're doing it back and like forth. Like we're doing with so Ryan Newman. I've so got a little bit of a surprise. So what? I've got a little bit of a surprise. Okay, what is so, it? Just, so, I'm guessing that this car dealership shop that you used to work at was called Sadler's Hot Rod Shop. Am I right? Well, I thought it was Sadler's Shop. Sadler Auto Center of South Hill, Inc. Okay, all right. So, and you said home of the bad sled, right? So you could ride out with the bad sled, right? Kids know that. It was Sadler Auto Center of South Hill, Inc. Was it Sadler or Sattler? Sattler. Now, Hermes Sattler. Line one. Or not. So there's a lot about you, Hermie, that I don't know, even with as many hours as you and I spend talking to each other about each other, um, that I had our executive producer, Brad Tuesday, go dig up. Some Sadler Auto Sales history. Is that what you're traded okay. at Sadler Auto Sales? Sadler Auto Center. Sadler Auto Center. And it and it, we get here because I'm just going to roll forward a little bit. <clears throat> My son thinks the world of Hermie. I said, Hermie, do you have a poster or something we can put up in his rig room, his, his game room in the basement mm. next door to my man cave? He gives me this poster. The poster is he had Elliot sign it. He personally signed it for, for my son, Chandler. But in the middle of this poster is none other than Dwayne the Rock Johnson. And I say, hey, Hermie, what, what is Dwayne the Rock Johnson doing in the middle of this post? He goes, oh, you know, he used to promote for me when I had a car dealership, you know, acting like it was no big thing. That's Dwayne the Rock Johnson. I bring that poster back to my office before I give it to my boy. My, my paralegal, my legal assistant, Rhonda Smith, says, that's Dwayne the Rock Johnson. And I said, yeah. And she was like, well, why hadn't he signed it? I said, well, he wasn't around to sign it when I got the poster. And she said, can you have him on the podcast? And I said, I don't know. Maybe we'll find out. And you she said, well, know. if it is, we have to do the podcast at my office so she can just gaze at him for a while. <laughs> but so we w- we did a little bit of digging here, Hermie. Yeah. Because you had mentioned to me that, you know, he did some sponsorships for you. And he, didn't, he did commercials for me. Commercials for you. Well, we have got the commercials right now. You mean for to tell you, you how pleasure. we did that? Sure. Do you want to hear the commercials first? No, I want to hear how you did it. I needed somebody. I've always, I've never been a big fan or advocate of advertising just to be advertising. I always liked to, if you go advertise, have something to advertise. Have a purpose. And I was looking at something, trying to find a way to do something that nobody else was doing or could do. And back in those days, now we're talking about 1997, 1998. I was looking for for a, for a hook, something to advertise, and I had a friendship with Dave and Earl Hebner, twins that were probably the most famous wrestling referees in the history of the business. They live in Richmond. Live in Richmond, working for WWE for years, and through Dave Hebner, I told him what I wanted, and he put together a meeting with. Uh, Dwayne and I at a house show WWE was doing. Like I said, this was at the time, I'm guessing, 96, 97, 98, right in there. So ultimately, I made a deal with Rock because at at this particular time, he was just getting started. He was a pebble. He wasn't a rock yet. He was uh, starting to make a way for himself. And 
was doing okay, but was by no means the multi-millionaire that he is today. But I made a deal with him. Basically, I provided him a car to drive, Cadillac, in exchange for him doing commercials for me. And we filmed all of our commercials at Terry Labonte Chevrolet, which is actually owned by Rick Hendrick down in Greensboro. So we always planned it whenever WWE was coming to Greensboro for a house show, we would set aside a, a day to tape commercials uh, in Greensboro while Rocky was there. That, and so we did all those commercials. That must cost you a bundle. There. What do you mean? I mean, The Rock? I mean, how much do you pay The Rock? I gave him a car to drive. Like what kind of car? A Cadillac. Anyone he picked? Black. Anyone he picked. For how long? Uh, for as long as we did the commercials. I mean, about, about two, three years. Now I'm t- and we would trade. We'd go down to trade. We'd make a trip down and trade about every five, six months. And then I'd sell the one he had and give him another one. You know, whatever. Did you ever sell the Cadillac saying this was the Rocks? Every rate? time. Yeah. Did it get more? Fetch more? Uh, I don't remember exactly. But, I I mean, most time we got him back. He wanted them with the gold-plated Cadillac package on them and the tenant windows. And so they, they were rocked out, I guess you could say. Was it a vanity plate that was jabroni or, you know, anything like that? No. We run we ran dealer tags on it for him. Or maybe we titled it. I can't remember how we did it. I think we titled them in Florida. Yeah, we had to maybe title because he lived at that time down in, in South Florida. Well, let me tell you something. We have an extra special moment here because we have captured those ads that you did with The Rock. Now, I see you in kind of like one kind of standing there. Uh, but this is amazing this is amazing tape that I had Brad Tuesday pull down last night. I was sitting in my bathroom. My, my wife was, was in the bedroom, and she hears me laughing, and I can't stop laughing. And she's like, what are you laughing about? I said, you got to come here. You got to come here. And, and I played her these ads, and she was laughing too. And obviously they had a good effect because it probably was very positive for your car dealership. But we are pulling out of history some clips here of your ads. And, Brad, I think it's the time to unveil the first clip this is some. This is a compilation of your ads with The Rock. Says head on over to the People's Dealership, Sadler Auto Center, if you smell what The Rock is cooking. Sadler Auto Center is the best dealership in America. Sadler Auto Center is the People's Dealership. And that Sadler Auto Center's sales and service is backed up by the most recognizable symbol of greatness on God's green earth, the Brahma Bull. So The Rock says this, if you want a great deal, go to where The Rock gets all his wheels from, Sadler Auto Center. If you smell what The Rock is cooking. Be sure to tell him that The Rock says our prices are rock bottom and lay the smack down on all the competition. Did you write that? Totally I wrote, unscripted. I wrote every one of those commercials. Is that right? Seriously, I did. Yeah. They're great. I thought it was unscripted. No, I wrote word for word every one of those commercials, including the one that mine and your friend Greg Thrift did as the nerdy sale that was a great ah, one ah, as that's a matter the of best fact, one. gentlemen i have that one too brad play that one this is local legend greg thrift that also worked for me for a time and we brought him in to greensboro that day to play the nerdy obnoxious car salesman trying to sell a car to the rock roll that beautiful bean footage okay brad Hello, Mr. Rock. Can I help you? Well, The Rock says it... It doesn't matter if I can help you. You see, I know what you're looking for. A great car at a great price for the great one, right? Well, we're no jabronis around here. We're not checking you into the SmackDown Hotel. How about this baby right here? Well, The Rock says... I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, sure, I can do it. I can knock a couple of bucks off for you. I smell 
what you're cooking. Hey, where are you going? The Rock's going to Sadler Auto Center, Jabroni. Was it something I said? <laughs> <laughs> that is the training video that Shep uses to train all his and, salesmen. And they probably did that first take, too, because Thrift was perfect, and of course, The Rock was perfect in that. It did was you great. write that one as well? Oh, everyone. That sure was did. hilarious. Yeah. And so these would run on local stations? Local running? cable oh, yeah. television, yeah. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And how long did you have him as your spokesperson? I'm going to say maybe two, three years. And it sell a lot of cars, I bet. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And plus, I got him. He came to Emporia um, at some point in time. And that's when we actually used the posters to promote. He came and did an appearance. And we set up a little small wrestling ring outside of the oil company offices that you know we are today. Back in those days, that was Sadler Auto Center of Emporia building. We set up a little ring outside of my office out there. And he came and did an appearance the day before a house show that night over in Richmond, Virginia. You know what I remember about that day? What? A couple things. We had several thousand people there. I was there. Hermie called me, said, hey, I need a microphone. I need some music. So I took the party time music bandwagon down there. there. Literally thousands. And then after the appearance, Rock and I flew on a helicopter from the hospital in Emporia over to Richmond, Virginia. He had a house show that night where he wrestled the dopey mayor from Knoxville, Tennessee, Kane. <laughs> they had an ongoing thing going on on house shows yeah. at night, but yeah. uh, Kane and Rock worked together on those that loop of house shows back in those days, and he worked in that night. He had a lot of things going on. He had one going on with Stone Cold Steve Austin where he brought in a beer truck and sprayed oh, yeah. the rock with uh, Bush Light. Him and old Vinnie Mac. Yeah. Vince I mean, that's, McMahon. That's some pretty amazing stuff now. Yeah. So you I, said it lasted a couple of years. Uh, what happened? I'll uh, tell you something else, too, before we yeah. get into that. What else i learned about the rock that day is he is a huge sam cook fan huge he loves sam cook music but you know he kind of just i don't know what happened i know we were doing the uwf shows we had these great ad campaigns going on with the rock and then all of a sudden i remember getting a phone call one day at the dealership hey go get that cadillac Hmm. and i'm not real sure what ever happened with the cadillac and the rock well, and this is when Dwayne Johnson is really starting to take off. He's he's building two careers. Uh, he's he's gold gold for Vince McMahon. Um, what happened? Well, um, I'm not really sure that I should talk much about that part of it on this show. Oh, come on, man! It's a podcast. As your lawyer, I, I advise you to talk about this on the show because <laughs> this is what this show is about. Well. We probably need to have a sidebar conversation about this first and discuss whether or not I should be talking. I'll I'll tell you this part. Come on, Herm. I'll tell you this much. Look, you wanted Memory Makers to sponsor, and I said last week, if we ever get up to about 80,000 listenership, that Memory Makers could probably come in, and you want to get Boyd to come in. I mean, look. I would say you have to admit, Senator, and friend, and my attorney. You have to admit that when it came to me and you forming partnerships to do this podcast and to form Sadler Stanley Racing, you had to know and understand, and you you get reminders of it every week, how lightly I tread or how careful I am or how I was hesitant and remain hesitant to form partnerships with friends. I understand that. But, I mean, here you got a great thing going with the Brahma Bull. He's uh, 
he's going in the right direction, you're going in the right direction. I mean, these are two two universes uh, aligning, not colliding. I mean, there's got to be a story here. Here's a story. Otherwise, he'd still be swimming in Cadillacs right now with the Sadler name on the side. You want me to... Or maybe he'd have the crack truck. The problem is I can't tell part of the story without telling the whole story. Then tell the whole story. I mean, what? So, what are we here at this podcast to talk about? Half, half truths, half, half stories. I mean, you and I promised. Look, I told the Q-tip story because you told me the night before our first podcast. Q-tip story ain't got a damn thing to do with what we're talking I'm about. I'm just right saying. Now. I was being honest. I, about I'm myself. gonna agree with Hermie on that one, man. This. <laughs> Shut up, Shep. <laughs> look, here's Shep. Uh, look, so myself. <laughs> Welcome aboard. Rocky and I became friends, and Rocky. Out, outside. Rock, the Rock, Dwayne. I called him Rocky. Oh, really? Well, he yeah. was Rocky Maivia before he was the Rock. So he was Rocky. Yeah, yeah. It sounded like a, you know they had a personal relationship. Obviously, you guys were friends. Sure, sure. I mean, my wife and I went down and stayed in his home in South Florida, and we, you know, we became friends. No question. Um, through the course of this relationship of of him doing commercials and things and us providing cars. Over the course of time, he started to follow my racing career. He became interested, and we started having conversations through that period about how cool it would be to form a partnership and own a NASCAR team together. Wow. Long how through awesome the, would that have been? Long <laughs> through that portion of time, now I'm talking about 1998, late into 1999, even heading into 2000. I had started to drive a little bit for a friend of mine in racing named Joe Bessie. Joe owned a race team, Joe Bessie Motorsports, competing in the uh, NASCAR at the time, Winston Cup Series. So, and actually Rocky and his wife at the time, Danny, uh, they're no longer together, have a beautiful child together, however. They came to Homestead to watch me race in November of 1999. Prior to that, we started having conversations about racing and a partnership. So we finally decided one day we want to put together a way to have a partnership for us to co-own a team that, Hermie, you will drive for and compete in NASCAR. Sure. So I put together things very, very quickly in a short period of time. Uh, basically, I had put together enough. I had put that deal together where we were basically going to use his name and likeness and I had investors and merchandise opportunities put together to trade off of his name and likeness where he was not obligated for not one dollar out of pocket financially and so we put all these things together I actually went probably in maybe September of that year, went to the WWE headquarters in Stamford, Connecticut, and met with merchandisers in the WWE merchandise department about shirts, T-shirts, other items that we were going to trademark and merchandise to sell and raise money to fund our race operations partly. Um, and so I'd done all that. We, uh, I had made a deal to purchase Joe Bessie Motorsports, purchase the race team from him, and do a lease agreement on the shop in the building that he were in. Um, 
as far as contracts, we at Rock and I and Danny had worked through the majority of that. The only piece of paper that had been signed was a letter of intent that we and I intended to do this and set it up this way. Rock intended to do this, and these were his obligations that were only appearances and promotions. It was nothing financially on on his end. Um. Hey, that's a win-win opportunity for both. Okay. Both sides. This we, sounds great. We had a... I didn't get this deal in our race. So we rolled <laughs> all the way through the year 2000 putting all this together. We actually had gone so far as to schedule a press conference in December of 2000 out at the Concord Mills Mall in Concord, North Carolina, right across the street from the Charlotte Motor Speedway. So we had, I had all my investors, I had the merchandise deals, I had bought the race team, I had hired a crew chief, I had done all these things. And we had a, and Rocky and I, Rocky and I were talking daily about all of our did stuff. He, did he talk in the third person? Like, The Rock really likes this deal. <laughs> the Rock really wants no. to have a car. It's easy for you to have fun at my expense, but no, no, no. So the rock what, is nowhere near me, so I can make this. But when <laughs> no, it's great. I love the rock. So we had all these things going until one day, out of the blue, Rock and I had we we were because he was traveling doing WWE, and I was had a car dealership, and I was racing. We were all so we had picked a time out daily that we would talk, whether it be one o'clock, two o'clock, maybe before his shows at night. So I went two days in a row and was unable to reach him. So I started getting concerned. Then a couple days later, I got a letter from a guy named Augie Lagori from WWE that basically was a cease and desist letter. What? Telling me that not only was my planned partnership with Dwayne The Rock Johnson done, I was no longer allowed to communicate with him. You're kidding me. I'm not kidding you. So what 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 brought that about? Well, I had no choice at the time but to assume, and I guess I wrongly assumed that I had no way of knowing exactly what Rocky's deal was with WWE or who owned the rights to what or who could or could not do what. I was only going off of what the Rock was doing. What, what we were doing together. What he was cooking. And I assumed that he had every, every right to do what we were talking about doing. My assumption is that it got to Vince what we were talking about doing, and maybe he didn't, Rocky hadn't communicated with him on every aspect of it, or maybe any aspect of it, I don't know. So I get this letter from Augie Lagore, who I'd never met. But you'd been to you'd been to Connecticut and met with merch sure. people and all of that. Sure. I mean, there has to be some coordination. Sure. I, I heard Vince McMahon had his hand in everything. Sure, up there. So ultimately, um, they sent me this letter. So I end up, and I don't remember all the details of how I did it, but I ended up getting a meeting with Vince at a Monday Night Raw in Norfolk. About a month after all this went down, they swung through Norfolk for Monday Night Raw. And maybe through my attorney and maybe through Augie Ligori, they set up a Vince will talk to you at Monday Night Raw. So I went to Norfolk, sat in his office and showed him all of my documents, my paperwork, my 
contracts, my meetings with WWE merchandise, my dealings with Rocky and Danny and all the things we were doing. And also the fact that I had made, you know, I've up for the majority of my life, I made my living at the NASCAR track. And I was proud of the fact that in all my years of being an, a driver, a competitor, a owner, TV personality, all those things, never took anything from anybody, never mistreated anybody, never owed anybody any money. But I had made a deal with Joe Bessie to buy this equipment, shop, lease, all those things. But while Vince McMahon was, I thought, um, he felt my pain, I guess you might say, on how I was led down the path I was led to. So I went and explained all that to him, and he said, I'll get back to you in a, in a, in a day or two. So I took him at his word. Glimmer of hope. Yeah, that maybe he'll talk to Rocky, and Rocky will go have a conversation with him, and we'll get this cleared up and, and move on. I mean, there had to be – I mean, there's huge upside to WWE, WWF – uh, I don't know which one it was at the time. That had to be huge upside for them getting into the race business because most of the people love racing, love wrestling. And and I, why, I, I just don't see why this would be a negative. Well, the negative is apparently that it, it wasn't Vince's idea and it wasn't Vince in charge of it from start to finish and wasn't, you know, how was he going to benefit or profit from mm. it? But so their contention was that even though I had a letter of intent, signed by Dwayne and Danny on what we were intending to do, his contention was Rocky was not legally able to sign such a document because he didn't own the rights to the trademarks and things that he was putting up as part of the deal. You're saying Vince owned the trademarks Vince to owned the Rock? all that. Oh, yeah, sure. Okay, sure. So he owned his personality, basically. So, yes. Which I knew all that. I mean, I, okay. I've been around enough to know. I mean, I, I guess they're the ones that develop the personality, develop right. the storylines, do all that I, stuff. That's so never right been, I never would or was questioning whether or not Rock had a huge say in the fact that he owned that character and that personality at that time. And I think through the years, he and Rocky, you know, Rocky got so big, they've yeah. worked that out and he can, whatever. But at that time, um, and, but why would I, I mean, why would I think that Rock was doing all this and keeping Vince in the dark? Why, that, he would never, I, I, and to your point, the fact that I had gone to WWE headquarters yeah. and done all this stuff. But ultimately, uh, so I went and met with Vince, took all my paperwork, didn't take a lawyer, but I, so I kept it, tried to keep it friendly. And he said, we'll get back to you. But ultimately, nobody ever got back to me. So you never got an answer. You just never got, got a, an answer. Never got Not anything. on the dotted line. Not a not another. Um, and Acted like they never had even met you. Yeah. Pretty and much. Hermie, don't what about remember the Rock? right? That actually led over into other talent. Weren't you told? Now, I don't. I don't. But I don't remember that. Okay. But um, I did see Rocky that night at the building. Because he had been told not to speak to me, and I was told not to speak to him. And all he said to me was, I know you're mad at me, and I'm sorry. That's what he said. Those were his last words? Mm-hmm. The last time you talked to the Rocky. Last, last time, time I actually had a face-to-face conversation with him, this was, I'm guessing, 
in the spring of 2001, maybe something like that. Sounds like an Amish divorce. You know, they just pull them apart and don't let them talk again, and somebody else gives the reasons. That's... That is a wild story, Hermie. So how did you unwind all of everything yeah. that you had wound up? Well, my choice back in those days were, were very simple. I could take my losses and mitigate myself out of them, and which I ultimately did. I fulfilled my obligations to Joe Bessie and to everybody that I had made commitments to, to the tune of close to a million dollars. So you bought the team? Yeah. And you, bought, bought and you the leased team. the shop? And- I bought the team, and then I sold it off over the course of the next 18 months car by car piece by piece wow did and 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 like the people that i had hired the ones that couldn't couldn't get other jobs i paid them until they got other jobs and i if a guy was supposed to make 100 grand for me and sign somewhere else for 75 i paid him 25 and you're, you're such good friends with so many great wrestlers double j jeff jarrett yeah uh nature boy rick flair yeah uh, all of these things, you know, demonstrate, and, and, and I'm your friend, and, and Shep, you'd say the same thing. There's nobody more honest and fair with friendship than you are. But then to have this kind of the door just shuts everything that you guys had built together mm-hmm. or even were negotiating, but right. really had built together in that room of trust and the promos that, that he was doing for your dealership at the time, mm-hmm. just cut off like a light switch. Just, just just like that. And to this day, that was 20, 20 years ago. Over 20 years ago, I have not spoken to him since. Well, I know Dwayne The Rock Johnson is listening to this podcast because he has a lot of time on his hands. So if he ever uh, listens to this story, it's kind of heartbreaking. And we'd love to hear from him. And, and it's a shame because, you know what, uh, one of the things I value the most is your friendship and your honesty. And I'd go into any business with you. We're in two right now. And well, um, this circles you're back the best to, guy to do it with. I circle back this to, to you because I, I told you when we started these joint ventures together that I'm not a good partner because I learned a valuable lesson in that, in that, it, you know, both people, their goals and wishes and dreams have to align and you have to have a certain, a high, high level of trust with somebody. Yeah. And I have traded lightly in my life ever since then, because back in that time, I was sitting there, in the middle, I was racing, working. I had a family. Um, along about the same time, Haley was diagnosed mm-hmm. with her issue, and then I'm sitting here, in my opinion, left holding a million dollar bag. Yeah. Of crap. Yeah. So what do I do now? And so I had to figure out quickly. And, and my other choice, I go back to what I said. I could either take it and mitigate out of it piece by piece by piece which took me five years or you could have walked away to and do it eaten the breach of contract or made them do what they did to you to, or, to people that you'd made those deals with. that wasn't an option for me at that obviously time. Right. and that's character and integrity right there for you my, my two options were well option b i had to because of the relationships i had with the people in the nascar industry yeah. if 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 i had hired bill stanley to come work for me as the team attorney and the team pr person and you had a contract for $50,000 a year, you were counting on me for that money, Right. I had to pay you that money. My options were to go about that and to learn a valuable lesson and walk on, or I could have been baited into doing what I know Vince McMahon does best when it comes to legal, legal matters, and that is 
he'll shuffle paper on my ass for five years until I'm broke. Mm-hmm. Well, and when you get to that position, you can say, F you sue me. And, right. and it's That's whoever what has the longevity to actually stand up against that I didn't. Person. I didn't have the funds to do that to do that at that time i was going to put my family in my opinion put my family in further jeopardy jeopardy by not only foolishly i look back now foolishly you know i look back now i could have i should have done i rocky and i should have gone and sat down with vince on day one i just assumed as close as him and rock were and the fact that we were working with the WWE people on design of all these, all this merchandise and all that. And the other investors that I had brought in, other sponsors I had brought in, they were all being approved by the WWE hierarchy of what we were going to use. But and not Vince. Who, but yes. a- apparently not Vince. Huh. And, then, so, you know, and of course, a lot of that is your own opinion. Uh, you know, I'm sure he has another viewpoint. Sure, but, sure. But, I, but this is just shocking because if you think about it, you know, in the last podcast you even mentioned – what if, you know, when you got spun out with Kenny um, at the first Homestead race? What if? I mean, what if this team had got together? What would it be right now? What could it have been actually in a time where after 2001, uh, when we lost Dale, uh, that's probably when you needed that kind of personality team in yeah, the sport the, the most, most. And they missed that opportunity. That's that's a heartbreaker. That was a big mind. deal you know, made about, you know, last year about Michael Jordan coming into the sport. That would have been the closest thing to Michael Jordan coming into NASCAR racing 20 years ago. Oh, yeah. you know It would have been bigger back in that day. And, you know, I think it just speaks to, and you touched on it too, Bill, the, the character of Hermie. I mean, he took that situation, he owned it, he fulfilled his obligations, yeah. and it, it to me it goes a long ways getting back to the lawsuit. Hermie has just always stood for uh, principles, for doing the right thing, yeah. And for standing up for the little guy. And when you have employees that you're supplementing their income when they find a new job because it's maybe less than what he had agreed upon, that certainly says a whole lot to the character of, of Hermie Sattler. Well, and when you also, when you get into a partnership with Hermie, I'll tell you just from my experience, um, yeah, he's bossy as hell, but he's bossy as hell and still lets you come to the conclusion that he thinks is the right one and he's always right about it. <laughs> um, it's a great relationship. Uh, it's honest. And quite frankly, uh, we know where each other's lane is. We take each other's advice, and we make decisions in a joint manner. I think Rock's missing out on something that I'm getting the benefit of no now. No question. That ability to enjoy it, actually. We enjoy doing this podcast. I run this side of the show. We enjoy the racing. He runs that side of the show. We consult with each other on 100% of everything. Um, but, uh, you know, The Rock is a jabroni for losing out on this partnership because I think that would have been so spectacular, not just for you, Hermie, and the experience, but really for NASCAR, really for wrestling. I'll say this. I truly believe in my heart that he was devastated at the position that he knew he put me in 20 years ago. Yeah. He didn't have a choice. I mean, yeah. I don't Vince think he says, had a yeah. this is what you're doing. You stay away from Hermie. He's a gangster. And, you know, and and I truly believe just based on some of the comments that mutual friends of ours have heard him say, uh, actually, Elliot saw him maybe a couple years after that. He was at Texas Motor Speedway waving a green flag, maybe promoting a movie. And he made a comment to Elliot, you know, something along the lines of, man, I'm just I know your brothers hates me. You know, and rightfully so. And and I'm and sure you don't don't hate him. For I do it. not. No. I, I know it's not. Only thing that disappoints me still to this day is that I never got 
I don't want or need one penny from him. I lost that money, recovered what I could, made the best of it. I chalked it up to a, like my dad tells me sometimes, sometimes you just got to take your losses, learn your lessons and move on. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. But the only thing that disappoints me to this day is that I wonder now how good of friends we really were. Only because I would have at some point in time, I certainly wouldn't have waited 20 years, and I certainly wouldn't have waited to become a multimillionaire. But I would have at some point in time picked up the phone and called him if the shoe be on the other foot and say, just so you know, this is what happened, and, and I'm sorry. So you just want an explanation? I would like an explanation. That's all. And it, it won't help. It's not going to change anything. Nope. But that is the reason, just so you know, just when when we talk about partnerships and friendships and mingling the two together and making decisions, I'm gun shy mm -hmm. because I got roasted on that deal, not just friendship wise, but financially to a point where it put my family in jeopardy. Wow. And I had to figure out how to navigate out of that and i mean i don't you never get back a million dollars but that really formed or framed a lot of my beliefs hmm. and shep brought up a good point i really i never have really even thought about um correlating that experience to me or us suing the governor of the commonwealth of virginia but in that case vince mcmahon was the governor he was he was Goliath and I was David and he forced he put force fed me to a position where I could submit or try to fight and I had did not have the resources to fight well in my opinion that's a that was a bad decision on his part uh, it's a sad ending to it to his a loss. funny tale I mean I was and those are great commercials and, and a great start and what you and you mentioned it yourself you know when you look back on something, you always want to know that you that you maintained your character and integrity. That's what my dad says. The only thing you keep with you, and when people, when you give it away, you can't get it back. And number two, that friendships really are what matter most because that's what you take with you, not the dollar in your pocket or the dollar you hand out that you lost. And and then to look back on this and go, were we really friends? That's the saddest question to ask yourself them all. And then, you know, then that's the heartbreaking part of the end of this story. Yeah. Well, Bill, I think it's actually a silver lining because that experience led into all the traits that we just talked about, the ethics, the the doing the right thing, the standing up for the little guy. I think that has developed all of the right traits that you would want in a local politician. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. And and listen, I am so glad we talked about this. And Hermie, I'm glad you – I have never heard this story before. I guess, Shep, you've heard – you were there. You I were was part of that. Part of it. You know, when we started Sadler Stanley Racing, uh, a.k.a. Stanley Sadler Racing – um, you know, now I see where you were coming from in the long discussions and talks that we had about this, and it makes perfect sense. Um, but I'm richer for it in terms of the life experience that I get and to be able to be your partner. So um, his loss, The Rock's loss, is the stand man's gain, uh, and the stand man will not let uh, him become, you know, let down. The stand man is not a jabroni. And so, you know, the other thing is, is that you, you have great relationships, as I said, with other wrestlers as well. As well, uh, a next podcast I've, I've 
grabbed a little piece of another piece of advertising that we'll go over because this has been a great discussion. Um, we're trying to, of course, bring new structure. We are exploding in terms of the numbers of people that are listening to us each week, and we're glad and, and very proud of that. We're adding on some some new value here because, Hermie, you really are the hook here, and, and I love talking to you. So we're, we're going to add a couple of things. I'm also surprising you with this before we go to break, and then we come back with Joe Morrissey. We're going to have a couple new features. One is Hermes Answer Machine, mm. where we're going to, through <laughs> Facebook, could possibly go wrong. <laughs> that could be and dangerous. It's not Hermes <laughs> Mailbox or Hermes t- Text or Voicemail. Now, this is Hermes Answer Machine because we're throwing back to where you had that answer machine on that table, that big thing. It had a mahogany fake oh, finish yeah. on it. And we're going to ask people that listen to us to go to our Facebook page, lean right and turning left, leave a recording on Hermes Answer Machine. Say whatever you want. Be as crazy as you want to be. Be as funny as you want to be. Ask him a question. Make a statement that Hermie can comment about. And we're going to play it here uh, in the next episodes every week. And if you if you get your answer machine message on there, uh, we're going to send you some. Sta- so, I almost did it. Sadler Stanley merch, some racing merch. But so we're gonna we're gonna get your take on what people say. We're gonna let uh, that fan participation be there. The second thing, Hermie, that we're going to be doing here. I love being the the guy that does. Uh, you're this doing part. it right now. You does the racing. So I do the podcast. You just talked about how. Sensitive I am about about partnerships, <laughs> yeah. and now you're telling me he is telling you telling you what we're going to do. Did right you approve the mailbox? Uh, I'm no, I'm your content guy. The second thing is, you know, I love listening to Hermes view on life or definition of something or telling me something that I don't know if I give him, you know, what's the difference between what is camber? We, we did this one time and I, yes. I was really thinking about this and, and I made the remark to my wife, Laura, that, that it's really when I get the answer, it's hermitology. And that there is a special, distinct way that Hermie answers something in a way or gives me a definition or a new way to look at something else. So we're also going to do a thing called Hermie. You mean all the reasons that I told you why it was not a good idea to accept half a million dollars for a lawsuit you that's, were trying to take on? <laughs> that's another hermitology. <laughs> uh, that's uh, my fault. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that's another hermitology uh, episode. But we're going to ask and, and ask our fans. If, if you're going to turn down to half ask him a million questions. dollars, I need to make sure he understands. That is another that story. Doing a good thing by doing that. <laughs> well. That's another story. But see, friendship matters more. Yeah. Matters more to me. And and also honor and, and integrity. But we're going to do Hermitology. We're going to have him. We're going to ask him questions. If, if the fans and the listeners have uh, questions about what is this compared to that, we want them to send that in as well. And we're going to fire those at you. So we're going to be adding more structure uh, as we go on. And especially it's going to be Hermie-oriented, Hermie-centered, I, I don't Hermie see universe. anything going wrong with these new segments. Not at all. And if, they, and if they bomb, then we'll just move on to the next idea that I have when I've been drinking. Look, we need to get uh, Senator Morrissey on, but before we do that, I want to remind everybody that Pacematic is an entertainment company which develops gaming software that players love to play and can use their skills to win every single time. Plus, these games of skill provide vital revenue to keep family-owned businesses like bars, restaurants, and convenience stores thriving, and we appreciate Pacematic for helping give us this platform. So, Senator, we'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll have Senator Morrissey on, and then we'll close with a short leaning right moment and a turning left moment to wrap up today's podcast. Fighting Joe is on the show. Fighting Joe. Coming up next, Joe Morrissey. Are you feeling stuck making minimum payments on your credit card debt? SaveWithConrad.com can help, and you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? Get rid of your credit card debt and lower your monthly payments right now at SaveWithConrad.com. Hi, folks. This is Hermie Sadler. Thanks for listening to our all-new podcast, 
Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. I hope you are enjoying the show as much as Senator Stanley and I enjoy bringing it to you. Whether you're a family traveling together or a truck driver hauling freight up and down the highway, I hope you will take the time to visit one of our Sadler Travel Plaza locations in Virginia and North Carolina. Sadler Travel Plaza locations are licensed dealer locations for pilot travel centers. And we also carry Shell Motiva Petroleum products for our four-wheel friends. We pride ourselves on providing one-stop shopping for service, food, and entertainment. Our food options include Five Guys Burgers and Fries, Quiznos, Dairy Queen, Hermie Sadler's Faux Show Bar and Grill, Victory Lane Restaurant, Hunt Brothers Pizza, Dunkin' Donuts, and much, much more. Our locations include Sadler Travel Plaza in South Hill, located off I-85 at Exit 12. The Sadler Travel Plaza of Emporia, which is conveniently located on Exit 11B off I-95. And Sadler Travel Plaza on Highway 58 in Suffolk. We also have our North Carolina location, Sadler Travel Plaza in Dunn, North Carolina. That's Exit 75 off I-95. We appreciate all of our customers. And Bill and I appreciate you listening to Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pacematic. And welcome back as we continue with another edition of Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pacematic. Interesting discussion in the first segment. And actually, Senator talked about a few things that I never thought I would talk about in a public forum. <laughs> told you I can surprise you with some things. I thought about See, this is what happens when I think things through and I have enough time to do it. Uh, and then work with Brad overnight and uh, turned out pretty well. I think it's great. I, and what a conversation. And now we get to we get to add to it with an incredible guest, uh, a friend of mine. I've known uh, this guest for over 25 years. Currently, he's a, a sitting state senator, uh, Democrat, Democrat, our first Democrat on this wow. show. Uh, from Brave. Six, yes. Brave. This man is Especially fearless. this one. He is fearless. He's from the 16th Senate District. He's been uh, there since being elected in 2020. He was elected to the Senate after serving eight years in the Virginia House of Delegates. Uh, a remarkable career there full of uh, stories and, and, and revelations and shocking moments. Uh, but not just that in politics. He's a former prosecutor. He was a Commonwealth attorney in the city of Richmond. He was a defense lawyer. He's won over 50 jury trials, criminal jury trials. He'll tell you all about that. Law professor, law professor in foreign countries. Uh, he's the host of the Fighting Joe Morrissey radio show, which is you can hear daily at noon on the uh, John Fredericks Radio Network, the JFN Network. Uh, what doesn't this guest do? What hasn't he done? And, and quite frankly, the real question is, what won't he do in the future? My good friend, controversial, but you know why? Because they call him Fighting Joe. Fighting Joe Morrissey. Joe Morrissey, welcome to the Sadler and the Senator podcast. Well, it's wonderful to be with you gentlemen this morning. Shep, I just met you. Nice to be with you. Hermie, uh, we have spoken many times. Uh, an honor to be on your show. And Bill, always a pleasure to be with my uh, colleague in the State Senate. And thank you for that introduction. Only thing I want to correct, I haven't won 50 I knew it. jury trials. <laughs> I knew it. I one time, at one time, I won 54 jury trials in a row, and I have won over 300 jury trials, including 100 first-degree murder trials. Just saying. 
Wow. You know, I, and and we can tell uh, Senator Morrissey is quite humble, <laughs> much yeah. like you, Bill. I, I believe I underwrote this for a purpose, but uh, I knew he was going to correct me if I got any of that wrong, and and I knew that was probably the thing. You may want to fire me right now as your lawyer and hire him. <laughs> now I'm gonna keep because, you a little while. I mean, yeah. that, uh, he's had an incredible legal career. We're going to try to dive into that as well. We've got so much to talk about with Joe. I'm going to tell you right now, uh, he's one of my absolute favorite people of all time. Uh, has been a great friend for many, many, many years. And then when having, when he came over to the Senate, uh, they said he couldn't beat the incumbent. Uh, the incumbent was in his own party. And, you know, he just defies the odds. If if someone says the word can't to Joe Morrissey, he takes off the apostrophe and the T and makes it a can. I mean, that's, that's something uh, that you've got to give uh, a gentleman like this. And also, um, there's a lot of people that love him, a lot of people that don't love him. And I don't care wherever you fall, whether you like him or not, but you're going to respect him because he's a true man to his word. He's also a man of principle when it comes to political principles that he holds dear, and he's not afraid to share them. But he's also not afraid to work across the aisle when it's not only appropriate, but the right things to the right thing to do. And in this day and age, we don't have a lot of that going on. And so to have Joe Morsey in the Senate has been a breath of fresh air for me. And actually somebody that I can hang out with and talk because a lot of those people, you know, you might not go out to dinner with all the time. But I want to just start off. I mean, he's the son of a cardiologist, uh, William F. Morsey, his wife, Jean. Actually, his claim to fame uh, in his ancestry uh, that he told me was that he was a descendant from John uh, his nickname was Old Smoke Morrissey, a 19th century United States congressman and one-time bare-knuckle uh, bare boxer. That's is correct, that correct Bill. Actually, John Morrissey's my great-great-great-uncle, and he was not only a bare-knuckle boxer, but he was the heavyweight boxing champion of the world in the mid-19th century when they boxed bare-knuckles. Not a subcategory, the heavyweight boxing champion of the world became a United States congressman, a bodyguard to Abraham Lincoln. And my uh, uh, my favorite story, he was that? a gambler. He started the Saratoga racetrack, you know? Um, oh, wow. Was he involved in skill games at all? <laughs> <laughs> he, he would have been. Um, but he was uh, featured in uh, the uh, movie Five, Five Gang, uh, Gangs of uh, New York. Um, and uh, quite the character. Died at an early age, early 50s, but led a full life and um i've got a picture of old smoke and 20 and 10 other heavyweight boxing champions of the world from frazier to muhammad ali out of my office here so the next time you two are down here you got to come in and and stop by the the uh the offices of fighting joe morrissey i've uh, i've actually been honored to come into the morrissey <laughs> shrine it's kind of like the sadler shrine over yeah. there behind yeah. the sadler Oral brothers uh, but he's got boxing gloves that are actually signed by heavyweight champions as well. He's earned the name Fighting Joe. Fighting Joe. And and let me tell you something, just uh, before we go deep diving into his history, uh, I have gone with him on occasion, uh, had the occasion to, to be with him, and he says, hey, come on, we're going to go do something out, out in my district. And this was actually when he was in the House of Delegates. And we drive up into a neighborhood, and as soon as he drives up, and it, you know, it, it's an inner-city neighborhood, uh, as soon as he gets out of the car, a crowd forms around him. And they're all, they want to touch him, want to talk to him. He's talking to everybody. He pops open the trunk. He's got like a hundred knapsacks of, uh, for kids with school supplies in them. And he's handing it out to the children. It was an amazing thing to watch as a politician, uh, but also the genuine affection that people that he represents, uh, that they have for him is, I think, 
the envy of any elected official. Uh, when I saw that, I, I was sitting there saying, how, many, how do I get a, an old Jaguar uh, and fill the trunk full of uh, knapsacks, full of uh, supplies for children? And I must admit that as soon as I went home to my district, I bought about 75 knapsacks, <laughs> filled them up with pencils, paper, notebooks, everything, and did the exact same thing. But not only, you know, you'd say that's a good political move, but man, he means it. And he's, and he's trying to make a difference in the people's lives that, quite frankly, uh, get left out on the cold in the same way that sometimes politically people in southwest Virginia or southside Virginia uh, get ignored. Uh, Joe is one of those people that is standing up and saying, you're not going to ignore these people. I represent them. They deserve a voice. And then they get fighting Joe. I mean, it's really, uh, I, I, hopefully I, I read that just like you wrote it, Joe. That's kind of you to say, uh, but, well, uh, it's kind of you to say that, but actually <laughs> it's the way I live. Hermie, um, when I got into the, uh, came into the um, Senate, I remember being interviewed by a reporter here in Richmond, and he said, what's one thing that you want to get done? And I talked about, first thing out of my mouth was broadband expansion. And he goes, wait, that's, that's not a problem in Central Virginia, in Richmond, Henrico, Chesterfield. No, but it's a problem in the western part of our state. And as a state senator, my fidelity, my loyalty, my faithfulness is to the Commonwealth of Virginia and party second. Always been that way and always will. And improving broadband in Southwest Virginia makes easier access for jobs, housing, schooling, and it makes the Commonwealth better. So that's, you know, that's the way I roll. And uh, Bill, I appreciate you saying that. And I would be remiss, Hermie, if I didn't say this. I've done almost everything I've wanted to do in my life except for race in the NASCAR Xfinity Series. So you've won, you know, top 10, uh, 45 top 10 places that's the only thing left for me to do is is to race at a Richmond International hey, Raceway. We we have an open seat in the Sadler Stanley Racing open wheel modified car hey. that every time that I I bring a guest on like last week we had Kenny Wallace on the week but you know we had Ryan Newman on in the past and everybody in the racing arena that we interview Bill is quick to offer them the seat for a I'm race. There. And so I'm offering you Senator Morrissey, an opportunity to hop in the seat of the Sadler Stanley Racing uh, Open Wheel oh, Modified, and Bill has Bill has agreed to pay the bill, <laughs> and he'll do all the funding, pay you up the the six figure salary, Joe, Thank that you. you deserve as a race car driver. And so I, I say it's a win-win for everybody. Can All we right. start him in the simulator first? No, 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 we're going right to the track. All right, well, we're thanks going. for coming on the show, everybody. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Hey, hey Joe, you know, uh, I've known you quite some time, but obviously most of our one-on-one and conversation and interactions have been related to or around the issue of skill games and uh, stuff that we have going on. And two things about you that have always stood out to me that I – respect and admire certainly we're not always going to agree on everything nobody does that's really what makes it how you get things done you share other people's ideas and experiences and you try to you know find a way but two things that stand out to me when people ask me about you number one you're not afraid to let people know your personal feelings on things and how they may affect people in your district or other people that you know even though it may not be quote unquote along the party line and number two you're not afraid to fight. Uh, I guess fighting Joe is kind of the moniker we're talking about. You're not afraid to stand up. I watched you many times stand up and bring more, um, you know, more light on issues from the another side that you would not expect to hear within the chamber of the Senate and otherwise from a Democrat. And so as a lifelong Virginian 
operating small businesses, raising my family here. I have a, a child with special needs, all these other things. I think it's great to have somebody like you that, you know, people can talk to. And whether we agree or not, you're going to look to, to the best interest of the Commonwealth as a whole and not be afraid to to say what's on your mind, even if it's not the popular well, thing. Well, thanks, thanks for saying that. And, um, you know, particularly coming from you, I remember Bill and I were talking about uh, something both of us were uh, involved in, and that was the skilled gains. And, you know, in my district, my Senate district, we have the big boxes. We have the there was a casino trying to come into South Richmond. We've got Rosie's right upside the uh, right up the street within a stone's throw from my office. Um, but it was the small guy, the one that, you know, the guy that has a convenience store or the truck stop or the restaurant that were really being um, prejudiced against. And while Bill and you were down in Southwest Virginia fighting it, I was outside of the then Democratic Attorney General Mark Herring's office with a hundred convenience store operators behind me saying, what about these little guys? So, Hermie, I've always stood up and fought for the little guy. I tell my children, no, your teachers are right. You do not fight in school with the exception. If you ever see somebody bullying somebody, you have an obligation to, uh, to step in Okay, and defend that person, and um, and then and that that transcends through my legislation. Um, you know, we Bill knows this. We 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 passed legislation that allowed for people that had certain special needs, like folks that were on the autism spectrum, to get that evidence in during a guilt or innocence phase, not sentencing, guilt or innocence phase of the trial, because once again, that's what I think. Government shouldn't be stepping in for, in all aspects of our lives, but to help people that are in need, yes. And that's what I'm going to continue to do, and that's the way I raise my kids. Senator Joe, this is Shep. I've got a question for you. Fighting Joe. Oh, Fighting Joe, that's right. Fighting. Uh, Take you know, you've the got G. an election coming up next November. What do you think some of the main issues are going to be? Um, I think that's, that's a – let me just give you a little backdrop to it. Um, yeah, all, all the senators are up for re-election, okay? And, um, you know, it's, what's interesting is this. My district, Shep, was, as Bill knows, was cut in half. Um, both districts become D plus 12 districts. So they're safe districts in November. But here was option one for me. Option one, stay right where I was in Chester, keep my kids in the same school district, not move the kids to another school and have no primary opponent and win without opposition in November, option one. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it, Bill? Option two. Yeah, yeah. I like that one option better. Option two, <laughs> move my kids to a new school district, move so I can continue to represent Petersburg and Hopewell, um, pick up Surrey, Sussex, Charles City County, Guaranteed opposition with La Cherise Ayrt and her million and a half bucks from, from Michael Bills uh, and have a fight on my hands. What option do you think I chose? The nope. safe one. 
Nope. Say the safe nope. one. Reading his Wikipedia <laughs> page, it. I'm going to say he went with option two. Is it, have you reviewed your no. Wikipedia page? I think he wrote it. No. <laughs> well, going by, you know, he took all of your lead up on your lead ends today. He took all your Thunderway. He probably did write his own Wikipedia page. Yeah, that um, was pretty badass. No, I'm sure he took I option two. I did because two. I've spent so much time investing in Petersburg. I'm trying to get the casino for them now. Um, I was down there today, right before I came on your podcast, speaking to a couple of government classes, um, broke most of the traffic laws between Petersburg and Richmond to get back here for your show. <laughs> but um, no, life is not about playing it safe. Jeez, who, who, you know that more than anybody, Hermie. You know, you lean right, turn left. You, it's not about playing safe. Um, I teach my children, you, we cannot, literally, in my house, the kids cannot use the word can't. I, it's, it's a four-letter word. It's a dirty word. You cannot say can't in my house. You can say, I'm having difficulty. I need some help. But I'm not playing it safe, and uh, um, I just there's a lot of reasons to, to, to take option two, and I'm doing that. But, Chet, back to your question, what do I think the issues are? Um, in, in 20, remember, we, I don't know if we're going to have any house races in November. The, every day that we go on and the, court, and, the, and the district courts don't rule that way, less likely. Um, and what he's saying is, is right now there's a pending lawsuit challenging the constitutionality of the redistricting that we should have actually one man, one vote and should have those elections a year early, at least for the House of Delegates, uh, because the Constitution requires that filed by Paul Goldman, uh, currently pending in the federal court. And it's been back and forth like a tennis match. Question. So is this like gerrymandering? What they're, I mean, is this... Well, it's not like gerrymandering Man, it's at not, all. Well, what we did was we created a commission that was supposed to do it independently. I served on that commission. We locked up the citizens. Just we, they just did not know what eleventh hour back, you know, uh, working hard on this stuff was. So I think it, they got uh, very discouraged very quickly. So the so the Supreme Court did it, and didn't care about incumbencies, uh, and put basically almost half of I think the sitting senators and House of Delegate members together in districts. And so what Joe's talking about is there's an open district that he's moving down to out of his safe space. He's going to allow one of his Democrat friends to move into that district. Gotcha. And rather than take it easy, the easy road, he's making it a challenge. And I'm reminded 10 years ago in redistricting, the Democrats, of which jersey color he wears, uh, tried to redistrict me out after my first year as a senator. I could have stayed in the 19th but would have had a primary against a Republican or I could have dropped down represented most of the place that was still my area at the time in the first year, take on a, an incumbent Democrat, been there for 20 years, and I ended up beating him by 20 or 644 votes. So I know exactly what Joe's talking about. Look, you got to take chances. If you're going to make a difference, that's what he yeah. said. Um, Shep, what are the issues I think that will come up? We're going to continue the trend that began in 2021 with Governor Yunkin, and that is more family particip parent participation in school boards and school districts. That's going to be, it's a, it's a winning issue, particularly for Republicans. They will, they will continue that. Um, I am still undecided on whether or not abortion will be an issue in, uh, uh, in 2023. Um, it's, it's got upsides and downsides for, for politicians. Um, but if you look at what Governor Yunkin was successful on in November 21. There's going to be a lot of people trying to repeat that uh, running uh, in 2023. And now here's what I've seen. Um, in, in primaries, you're going to try to get this. This is the norm. 
This is the norm. Um, you're going to try to get people that are Republicans to go far, far right in their primary, and then Democrats, you're going to try to get them to go far, far left in the primaries. I've always thought that was the wrong approach. Give people, tell them what you're going to do if you get elected in November, and uh, don't play just to your base, play to your con entire constituency. Um, so, well, we'll see. I think school modernization is going to be a very big issue. Um, that's important to my friend Bill. Um, I think... And you've led on that as well, Joe. I mean, I appreciate all your support. You were one of the first ones there when no one else was on modernizing our schools and the need for that to, to create that workforce pipeline that we're, we're lagging in. And quite frankly, Governor Youngkin's uh, report demonstrates we've got a lot of work to make up on to make sure our kids are getting the world-class education they deserve in Virginia. And, you know, Bill, we're opening a $168 million school in August here in Mecklenburg County where we're consolidating two schools. And it was all done with no tax uh, increase, a lot of support from Microsoft. So I know can relate exactly what you're saying about modernizing the school. Well, it's part of our, our state constitution guarantees it. But let me just say this, and I think it plays well into what Hermie was asking earlier. I look at issues and I say, what's best for Virginia? Example, Governor Yunkin was trying to wanted to reopen schools. OK, and now what's interesting is all of the empirical evidence that is coming out shows that it was a disaster to close the schools, even more so for people of black and brown tinge to their skin. Disaster. OK, but there were only two Democrats that supported Yunkin's move to reopen schools. Chap Peterson was one and you're speaking to the other. And now people realize we were absolutely right in doing that. Um, so I see the continued trend in education issues uh, being at the forefront in 2023. And um, um, so um, that's, uh, Bill, what do you think? I mean, what, what do you think of it? No, no I. I, I totally agree with you. I think education is going to be at the forefront because I don't think we've solved our problems. We've created more. We'll have more problems to solve. And, and somebody's got to have a solution and be willing to act on it and to get things done, not have the gridlock or the lockup that we've kind of had this year with you know, a Republican in the governor's mansion and a split uh, House and Senate. Uh, we've got to learn, learn again to work together for the Commonwealth, for the common good. And so Joe's exactly right. I think I think the economy, especially in 2023, is going to be an issue because, you know, everything I'm seeing is inflation's not going to go away. High gas prices aren't going to go away. And we're going to have perhaps a recession. What are we going to do with that? How are we going to spend our money more wisely? Right now, we're, we're, we're spending our money, um, the taxpayer money and the influx and the surplus that we have in my mind, like drunken sailors in Singapore, uh, not kind of looking down the road so much to say, hey, maybe we need to hold back on some of our spending because once we start spending, we can't stop. Can't stop but when the revenues start shrinking up because we we have people that have lost jobs and businesses have closed, it's going to be a rude awakening for Virginia. And then what do we do next? Where do we prioritize those monies and where do we prioritize our focus? And so Joe's exactly right on that. And again, what you're hearing out of Joe is exactly what we need on both sides, which is a nonpartisan viewpoint. You can be a Democrat or Republican, but you still say these issues are nonpartisan. We need to focus on them. And even in Governor Yunkin's uh, report, which came out, and we'll talk about that in the next segment of the show, even in more detail, when when an independent well, well, study commissioned by the executive order number one through his administration pointed out deficiencies 
what we had were a lot of the Democrats saying, nope, nope, this is a joke. This is a dog whistle, dismissing it rather than looking at that and saying, OK, what can we together do better? And uh, but I know Joe is the kind of guy that says, what can we do better together? Then he is pointing fingers on the other side of the aisle. There are times to be partisan and Joe can be partisan. But there's a and so can I. But there are more often times than not where Joe's not partisan, where I'm not partisan, where we need more of our uh, the people that wear the same color jerseys as we do to be the same way. The biggest thing that concerns me, you know, I've been spending a lot of time in Richmond over the last three years on this skill game issue only because of I didn't like the government going down a path of being able to, as we have said, pick winners and losers. For instance, we've got a Rosie's that broke ground in Emporia last week in my hometown, which is fine. And I welcome them to come spend that $30 million investment in my community, but not at the expense of coming in with a government-enabled monopoly. And they want to talk about adding 100 jobs. Well, a good portion of those jobs are going to be taken away from other small business owners in our area because Rosie's comes in before before our lawsuit bill with a monopoly on the gaming industry, which means they have to go to Rosie's to play games, which means they're also going to go to their restaurants, go to their bars, spend money at those places. And the frustrating thing that I've seen over the last couple of years is when I talk to legislators on both sides of the aisle in both houses, Senate and House, is there's a relative lack of concern or understanding on how policies actually affect normal, everyday working people. For instance, tonight, when I leave this podcast this afternoon, I'm going to a roundtable discussion over um, at a uh, the office of a, of a logger. Obviously, part of my business is we deliver fuel to people in the forestry business, farmers, construction workers, all those kind of things. Uh, they invited me to come speak at a, at a roundtable discussion amongst people in the forestry industry because fuel is getting hard to get. Fuel is getting tight. Prices, a price for a gallon of off-road fuel is about double what it was two years ago, and these guys are talking about shutting down. Do people really understand what's going to happen if loggers shut down, if farmers shut down? I mean, they don't grow um, produce in the back of food line. Yeah. You know, so these problems are really starting to get down to the, you know, to the nuts and bolts of what makes Virginia and most parts of the country work. And it's a scary time. And Joe, talk about that. I mean, you know, we, we've talked about the high inflation, high gas prices, how how skill game ban affected small business, all of these issues. And especially with what we're looking at now economically, what are, what are your thoughts on on what we're seeing now, what we can expect in the future? And quite frankly, what can Virginia, the legislature do? to help small Virginians uh, prosper and grow, maybe even turn back the tide okay. of what we're seeing. Well, first of all, um, with, with respect to what Hermie said, Hermie, this past weekend on Saturday, Friday and Saturday, I was up at the Virginia Forest Products Association meeting at the Richmond International Raceway and uh, toured everything that they're doing. And you're right, those that forestry industry is a huge integral part of the economy of Virginia. and. Uh, and what was troubling to me is that um, people right now, foresters are the forestry industry is also worried about. I, I am a huge proponent of alternative energy sources, but we can't cut down cut down timber land and then put in fifty acres of just solar panels. Do you follow me? That's that's taking away from that forestry forestry industry. And um, I uh, I learned so much. 
spending four or five hours up there with them. Um, Bill, what you're talking, let me tell you what scares me the most. It's inflation. And I remember uh, in 2020, I remember with this with such clarity. Um, talk about options. Option one, people continued to work and take took home five, six hundred dollars after all their taxes. Or option two, don't work, take home six hundred plus three hundred or nine hundred a week. Option A, work, pay your taxes, take home six. Do nothing, stay at home and take home 900. We were printing money to order to finance that. And now uh, it's come home to roost the problems and we have ramp rampant inflation. That is very, but if anybody didn't think we were gonna have it, you were living under a rock. You cannot run those printing presses of money in Washington, okay? Distribute the paper and not have the type of inflation that we're having. So Bill, I'm really worried about that, okay? Um, and I grew up, I'm, you know, I'm, you know me, I'm an older dad, but I grew up in a time where you worked. I've been working every day since I was 13. That's what I do, okay? Um, and uh, there's a culture out there of, of, of people that, you know, government owes them something. They don't want to work. There's people that came into the House of Delegates that didn't know the difference between a B for billion and an M for million. Just spend it. But those of us that have been signing the fronts of checks for three or four decades know you've got to be prudent. You've got to be practical. Hermie, I know you've got a successful uh, trucking company business and truck stops, but I bet early on in your career on more than one occasion, and Bill, when you were running your law firm, when you were signing the front of the checks and you got your own check, you had to put it in the drawer for a week or two weeks or a month before you could pull it back because the money wasn't there. You had to take care of the employees first. So that's I that's concerning to me. I am not one of those de Democrats that say, spend, 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 and worry about it tomorrow. I'm worrying about it right now. Yeah, and I, and I got to agree with you. And that's, that, it's that kind of forward thinking that we're going to need. Uh, as we tread through these times, and I think they're going to be as perilous. You know, we're not losing life in the terms of we did with the pandemic, but I mean, these are going to be perilous times, and we're going to have to be honest with ourselves in ways that we hadn't before and get off what we're used to being doing, which is, you know, spend, 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 and and everything's coming up roses, and so everything should be fine. Well, you know, Fighting Joe brings up a good uh, there point. There you go. You though. got it right. Yeah, I got it right. Yeah. Well, I didn't know him. I wanted to make sure I'm doing it right, but but, Joe, you bring up a, a very good point as generations change and cultures change and, you know, government starts to age out and a new uh, uh, class of, of congressmen and senators come in. How do we transition from that frugal point uh, of government to the new point, uh, part of government that just spend, spend, spend? How, how are we going to transition from one class to the well, next? Well, I hate it. It's funny, I, I once said jokingly that in order to come into Congress or the state legislature, you had to be either a D1, D2 athlete or you had to be a businessman or businesswoman, as opposed to somebody that's been feeding at the public trough for a long time. You got to come in with some semblance or some modicum of financial accountability and responsibility. 
Um, here's what I think is going to happen, Shep. I think the following. If we, right now, we are in un, uncharted territory that we had in, you know, after the next year, almost $8 billion surplus. And some people are thinking, spend it now and spend it on programs that you have to continue to spend on, or, you know, you be give it back. I'm a proponent of giving most of it back to the electorate. Let them decide where to spend it. Okay, I believe in one-time programs or put it in into a program that you had, Bill, five hundred million dollars into a fund that could give grants out to people that are renovating schools. But I just think this. I I, I told the ch the kids today at, at Petersburg High School. Some of you might come into the General Assembly, come in having done something. I said. I, you don't have to be a doctor, a lawyer, or an architect. You may be a, you might be a shop owner. You might be a teacher. You might be a mortician. But come in having accomplished something. Run a business. Teach children. Do something. Come in there with that, and then you can contribute. Um, what do I think is going to happen, Shep? I think I am scared that we will not get inflation under control. I think that we will the. Uh, uh, we're going to have to pay the piper uh, in 23, 24, 25, 2026. And um, I think people are going to finally realize that we want representatives, senators, uh, delegates that are, are, are financially responsible. And I'm going to I look to see people who have had accomplishments in their career. And let me let me just mention this note. Hermie, I think you might be thinking about running for the Senate. Am I right? Uh, I know nothing okay. about I, such hey, well, stuff as that. <laughs> yes, he does. If you, if you are great, that's wonderful. It's public service is something that's good. But I saw something the other day, and I commented on my radio show yesterday that I didn't like. There's a young, a young man, young to me. He's in his early 50s. His name is Hong Chao. He won the Republican nomination over 11 candidates to, to, to face off against Jennifer uh, uh, Elaine Laurie. Wexton. Okay, Elaine Laurie. No, no, Jennifer, Jennifer Wexton, Wexton, I think. It's Wexton yeah, in the 10th. In the 10th. And um, now this guy came over as a refugee, as a, as a toddler from Vietnam, went to the United States Naval Academy, 25 years in special services, runs a business, and... The Democratic Congressional Committee immediately came out and said he's, you know, just ripped into him for being part of the MAGA crowd and and how he was far right. And instead of just saying, you know, congratulations on your accomplishments, congratulations on the nomination nomination. Now, let's just have a, a good debate in, in November. It's attack, attack, attack. I found that that doesn't work. You can compliment and criticize the opposing, opposing side. I did it. Bill, when I ran for the House, I mean for the Senate, I ran against a woman who was a 30-year incumbent in Petersburg. No right. scandal right. at all. Joe's got it by the mile. Okay? Nope. And I'm proud of it. But with that said, three governors and one United States senator came down and and were um, uh, attacking me. Um, I, on the other hand, I went after my opponent because she had supported delegate trans bill that allowed an abortion 
on the day of delivery. Remember that, Bill? I just yeah, I, I stuck to my values, to my principles, and went after those uh, three governors. They came down to Petersburg, yeah. campaigned against me. Yeah. Hermie, yeah. I took the high road, but I didn't abandon my principles, and I beat her in her own city 72 to 28. Among wow. everybody and also and every ward. So my point is, if you do decide to get into that form, Bill does it on the floor. Bill, you're well you're well liked by people on both sides, and you got to reach out to those other sides to get things done. And 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 yeah. hey, listen, if somebody does something, Hermie, on the Democrats that you like, it doesn't hurt you to compliment them. Say, hey, good on you, mate. Good job. And if yeah. and, and then if your own party does something that's wrong, don't hesitate to say, better rethink that. It's, it's, my, it's my approach. So I'm hoping that we have a little bit more civility to it. I look across the aisle in the Senate and I see Bill and I see Siobhan Donovan and Todd uh, Pinion uh, um, and um, Pillion. And uh, I see um, Richard um, um, Stewart. And, and uh, so many folks on the other side that there, there are areas where we can agree. And guess what? You find those areas and then you get legislation passed pass that benefits the entire Commonwealth. Mm-hmm. Joe, let me just say this. I am a living, breathing example of what the government can potentially do to you if you do not stand up and fight. And... I look at things maybe not so much all the time as through the lens of Democrats versus Republicans. I look at it through the lens of I live in South Side, Virginia. We have a, a, a unique set of challenges. I look at it at South Side, Virginia versus Northern Virginia, South Side, Virginia versus Hampton Roads. Our state in some ways is dependent too much or governed too much by the people in Northern Virginia and Hampton okay. Roads, and, and maybe they don't see our needs as much. And and so um, I am proud of what we have been able to do, Senator Stanley and I, as far as standing up when the government is, is, is working against you unconstitutionally, as we believe. And I am considering uh, making a run at the newly drawn 17th uh, Senatorial District. I'm, uh, That's trying right to, next to the 16th. Right next Sweet. to the 16th. <laughs> You guys can sit together. Um, but you know what? I think it's important for people on both sides of the aisle, Republicans and Democrats, to your point, Joe, that when you see something that is could potentially, in your opinion, have a negative impact on the people you serve, you have an obligation to bring attention to those things, regardless of what other people in your party right. may think. Let me give you a prime example with the gentleman sitting to your left, Hermie. Um, Bill is pro-life, but he sees pro-life He's pro-life, not just at the beginning of life, but at the end. One of those senators on the other side that said that was opposed to the death penalty because he's pro-life. Okay, and it certainly didn't hurt Bill, Senator Stanley, to reach out and say, this is my position. This is a conviction that I have. And it has served him well, because this is what I found out. People rather vote for somebody. They might not agree with them, but they want a politician to have convictions, things that they believe in, not like some of those folks that tell one side of the county this, and then they travel three hours to another part of their district and tell them something different. So 
you know, um, so you can, you can, yeah. you can do that. And, um, and Joe, you and I share that actually, you know, you're a pro-life Democrat. That's because of your faith. It's because of my faith on pro-life when it comes to abortion, the issues of abortion. Uh, he gets an awful lot of pressure from Democrats, liberals about that issue. And then on the other side, uh, he's against the death penalty, and I'm against the death penalty for moral and faith issues, uh, grounds, and also believing that government should have the awesome power to, to take a life, and government gets it wrong. And Joe and I have seen where the government has wrongly convicted some someone only to be acquitted years later, but we can't give them back four right. years of their life. So other, you know, what we do is we give them $3 million uh, and walk away. But we get attacked for that from our own side. But actually, it's the most consistent consistent position you can have when it comes to life and be true to your convictions and so i'm proud to stand with him on that on both sides of the aisle and quite frankly if someone's going to attack me for it i don't care because it's my conviction it's my principle it's my faith and if you don't like it vote me out of office that's your right exactly. to do well, and hey gentlemen i've got to get you know in my research yeah I've yeah got he's got to go the, uh, to we, the fighting joe morrissey show starts in a minute and a half um <laughs> we're we're on four radio stations simultaneously every day from 12 Tell us where you're on. Tell us where you're on. Give us a, give uh, well, us a plug. It's, it's in central Virginia on uh, four, uh, three uh, FM stations and one AM station. And um, it's, uh, you know, we, we criticize and praise people on both sides of the spectrum and both parties. And it, we have fun. Um, Hermie, I think you've been on the show. Bill, you were on last week. So, um, yep. Uh, yep. We'll, Bill, I'm going to see you when you come to Richmond. We got business to talk over. Yes, sir. Hermie. Keep fighting. What's that? Lean right, turn Joe, left. Joe, thank you. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he turns left. I'm leaning right, baby. But He's leaning right. I'm turning. If, Joe, I, turn, I, if I turn right, I'm in trouble. You're in trouble. Thing, <laughs> Joe, I can't thank you my enough. My son, my seven-year-old Chase, my seven-year-old son Chase, and you, Hermie, have something in common. Avid University of North Carolina Tar Heel fans. He was, he, there you he go. literally, literally, we were out in, um, uh, out west skiing this year when the championship game on he was crying oh he was dancing on the on the beds when north carolina was up by 15 at half and he was crying me too he was crying <laughs> at the end of the game when the jayhawks won me too uh, so <laughs> we got to get him to a game that. next year yeah, and let's bring your family on out to a race too we we enjoyed having you in richmond uh, let's have you and your family back out again it was such a great fun time uh, Joe, God bless you. Thank you for being my friend, and thank you for coming on uh, Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler in the Center. My pleasure. You're my Thanks. Brother. See you, gentlemen. Psst. Who's going to take care of your family if something happens to you? What would they do without your income? If you don't have a plan, you need to go to GoliathLife.com. Get a quick quote for more than 20 carriers. You don't even have to leave the house. If you need a medical exam, they'll send somebody to your house or office. You're in total control. You pick the rates, you pick the payments, you pick the terms. You're in total control, but it gives you and your family peace of mind. What if something happens to your income? Hurry to GoliathLife.com. Hey, this is Bill Stanley, Hermie Sadler's sidekick on this podcast. But when I'm not in Richmond at the Capitol or doing this podcast, my real job for the past 27 years is as a trial attorney with the Stanley Law Group. Here at the Stanley Law Group, we represent our clients in every courthouse in the Commonwealth. No problem is too small for us to solve. No case is too big for us to win. Whether it's criminal charges, traffic offenses, civil disputes, litigation matters of any sort, we handle it all. We make sure we treat every client like family because they are to us. Your problem is our problem. Your success is our success because we hate to lose more than we love to win. And believe me, we win a lot. Don't believe me? Go ask Kermie. I'm his favorite lawyer. 
Give us a call at 540-721-6028 and let us help you. Or visit our website at www.vastanleylawgroup.com. At the Stanley Law Group, we'll make sure that we are the lawyers that you swear by and not at. And we're back, leaning right and turning left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pacematic and Joe Morrissey. What an interview. What a guy. What a guy who has done literally everything. I'm telling you, except race. And now now Hermes committed committed about $80,000 worth of car to a race. My friend's own bill immediately (laughs) hires him to run a race, regardless of how much money it's going to cost us. So I figured I need to return the favor. So watch out for fighting Joe Morrissey coming to a smart modified tour race near you. I want to see the hood <laughs> of that children car. And, and put helmets on everybody. <laughs> what is the hood on that car going to look like after fighting Joe gets out? Did you notice he uh, made sure that I would be responsible for the fixing? <laughs> he did say if there that. was some wrecking. <laughs> Maybe we'll start him out on one of those midgets or, or uh, uh, what do they call so those you things? can go ahead and draw the, draw the contract up. I'm on it. It's got I mean, to be in writing so there's no misunderstanding. Well, Listen, I, and I'm I telling you, he'll take one lap at about half speed, and then he'll try to jam it. I know, Joe, he's not going to do this half-half. Well, i got to say it again. What a Wikipedia page that guy has. Yeah, yeah. It is unreal. It's long, too. I mean, it just keeps – you get to the bottom next, 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 next. It just keeps going. I've been his friend and his lawyer, and it's never a boring moment. I, he, <laughs> he looked at me one time. He said, what do you want out of this? I said, a piece of Velcro just to tape myself next to you so I can watch what happens next. He is he is the same way and very passionate on the floor of the Senate. And as a legislator, he's passionate about the people he represents. And quite frankly, I think he's the epitome, as though he is a Democrat. He says he has a libertarian heart. But he's the epitome of what Winston Sears said on one of our previous podcasts, where, you know, you need to find that part where you can be you know you can disagree without being disagreeable and then he really focuses on the things that we can work on together and if we can't work on something together and I don't mean just me um, but he works on things with Republicans across the aisle or, or anyone uh, if we can find common ground on issues that are nonpartisan or even if they're partisan is there a middle ground without sacrificing everybody's principles there's a lot of people he's he's a he's an electric, sometimes polarizing figure in politics. I don't think he minds much of that. I think that's what he trades on and also how he gets things done. Uh, but in the end, you know, there may be people in the legislature that don't like Joe Morsi, but they got to respect him. And he wields a lot of authority because he can be that crossover vote. It's 21-19 in the Senate. Democrats control wow. right now. Um, if he comes over to, to our side on an issue, which could be a nonpartisan issue, but the Democrats have locked up on, uh, that throws it to the lieutenant governor and, and we might get something passed. So that gives him a lot of authority. Uh, and a lot of influence in in the direction of politics in the state Senate. And I don't think he abuses that. I think he handles it as well as he can under the circumstances. All right, so listen, both of y'all forced me to spill my guts on the situation with Dwayne DeRock Johnson. We had to hug it out afterwards. It was kind of brutal. That was brutal, but also was long-winded because I need to get it out there. Then we kind of pepped things back up with Joe Morrison. My point being we got to get to the leaning right and turning left moments of the show, but we need to get to it. Okay. <laughs> He's got to go. In other words. got to go. <laughs> so, hey, uh, I'll start off with uh, my leaning right moment. Brought to you, as always, uh, I have a sponsor. And now you do, too, Hermie. Brought to you by Charlie's Waterfront Cafe in beautiful downtown Farmville, Virginia, right next to the Greenfront Furniture Warehouse. 
guys, if you're going to go to Farmville, Virginia, if you have the opportunity, maybe go to the Moat Museum, uh, visit your kids at one of the colleges or universities there, go go furniture shopping or, or see the sights in beautiful downtown Farmville. Make sure you go get a bite to eat at the beautiful Charlie's Waterfront Cafe overlooking Appomattox River. It's got an outdoor dining, indoor dining. It's got a beautiful bar. They have live entertainment. You won't want to miss it. And the best thing is, is the food and drink is top notch. Tell Tom Graziano, his roommate, Bill Stanley, sent you and see if he'll give you something off of your bill. Just give it a shot. Just, you know, for me, just go up there and go, hey, I listened to the podcast and your old roommate, Bill Stanley, was uh, was talking about you and how great your restaurant is and see if he can't cut something off your bill. Maybe get a free dessert. I do not have a sponsor for my leaning left moment. Yes, you do. So uh, while Brian Boyd is in the dealership, no, I'm going to say that I'm comping this one, that my turning left moment on this week's podcast is proudly sponsored with no financial, no check changing hands by Boyd of South Hill. So when you need a new car, come to Boyd of South Hill. Yeah, no wonder the rock deal was what the rock deal was, man. You're just giving it away over there. All right, so then I'm going to move Lee Talley and Harry Talley's sponsorship of the coalition to uh, draft Hermie Sadler for state senate in the 17th district to the next show. Next show, that'd be fine. Okay, so we'll do Boyd as your sponsor. Since we're in the beautiful dealership of Boyd Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram here yeah, in the Ram, Hill. and Honda. I got my own next car door over to there. us. So, so they have, we have a complex. I know a guy <laughs> who can <laughs> help you out with that. Shep, one. I need I need rock bottom prices. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't rock say bottom. rock. Here we go. <laughs> we need rock bottom. Just when I thought I was over it, shouldn't have said the rock. Uh, the so, rock. So what we got Look, going the on? The deals are so good at Boyd. I go back to a, to a phrase my old buddy Walter Rainey. Who we also call The Rock. The Rock. We used to call him The Rock. One of my salesmen I had when I was up here in South Hill, Walter would give a price to somebody, and he would say, that price is so good, if you don't buy it, I'm going to buy it myself. That right. <laughs> so, now that's the ultimate salesman. So how many cars does he have in his front yard? Like 10? <laughs> I mean, wow. All right, so now, this is a beautiful dealership, by the way, and thank you for letting us uh, be here. It, it saves me about an hour drive back to Franklin County, and I don't have to drive all the way to Emporia. And, uh, poor ya, <laughs> poor ya. And so, you know, we're, we're just so proud and happy to be here at Boyd. And if you've got any car needs and want to come down here and see what they got, and they got a lot of good stuff, I've got my eye on a couple here. Uh, come down here and, uh, and give it your best come shot. Come see me. Come see Shep Moss. Come see Shep Moss. He might make you a deal, and then again, he hey, might look, not. If he, doesn't, if, he, if he don't like what he sees, he'll punch you, apparently, because <laughs> he's got a, a wrap on his right hand. Yeah, like he's. That. Well, I was actually practicing cooking pizzas, and I told Hermie, if I don't start selling cars, I'm going to be cooking pizzas at Faux Show. He may, so he may have practicing. an opening, by he the way. Might. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> I just found out we got an opening today, as a matter of fact. Now, now on my leaning right moment, of course, uh, what we saw last week, it was released on May 19th. The governor had, uh, had entered uh, what we call an executive. Executive Order, Executive Order 1, which was a full investigation top to bottom on the education system in the Commonwealth of Virginia, and specifically the K-12 public education system. And so the Virginia Department of Education undertook to see where we were in Virginia out of the pandemic. And after basically what we've had is about 10 years of school policies that have really changed the dynamic of public school in Virginia. Specifically, uh, we've we've lessened the requirements for graduation. We've lessened SOL requirements. You even see now we're, we're lessening uh, admission requirements to some of our top public schools, which are, uh, you know, like Thomas Jefferson up in Northern Virginia. We're trying to say that everybody gets a trophy instead of 
demanding that all of our students excel so that when they come out of high school, and most of them in Virginia do not go on to college, that they're workforce ready, that they've got the education they need to be successful in their lives and to be good, productive, taxpaying citizens. And what we, what we found from this education report was quite disturbing. And I just want to go over it. It was a 33-page report. It detailed how state policy choices and priorities over the last decade have resulted in lower student achievement in reading and math, wider achievement gaps, and especially in between uh, African-American students, white students, Asian-American students, the different uh, uh, even uh, economic classes that we have in the Commonwealth of Virginia, and what we're seeing most recently now, which is eroding parent confidence in the Commonwealth's public schools and their ability to teach our kids without indoctrinating them. Uh, the wide gaps, I think, just the math uh, part of this, the percentages that I'm seeing in the report are so disturbing and demonstrate we've been on the wrong path and we need to correct that path and we need our parents' involvement in correcting those paths. Think of it this way. Uh, this is what came out of the report. Only 33%, Hermie, of Virginia's eighth graders are proficient in reading on the 2019 National Report Card. And so they call it the, the NAEP report. Only 33% of our students in the eighth grade, we're talking about 13, 14-year-old kids, can read at the, at the minimum required level uh, of proficiency in reading. Only 38% of Virginia fourth graders are proficient in reading. Uh, in 20, from 2017 to, to now, our reading SOL scores, the standard of learning that we give all of our students, have declined every single year. We're talking about reading and writing and math. 42% of, of Virginia's second graders scored below reading benchmarks in the fall of 2021. Virginia has fallen from third to ninth in the nation on students that earn college credits on AP exams. I mean, this report is replete of where we've failed our children. You've heard me say this on this podcast before. Our children are our greatest natural resource here in the Commonwealth of Virginia, and we're not doing a good job. And it's about time that we have this revolution in the public school system because we have to. This is our generational future, and we have to have good students that become good people in the Commonwealth. That's going to bring good jobs here, keep the jobs we've got here, and also make sure as we get older that the Commonwealth is in good hands. And what they've also found here that was quite disturbing was that Virginia education has experienced also a lack of transparency. Uh, that is, these negative data trends have been going on for years, since 2016, 2017. But guess what? The administrations that we've had previously, which are Democrat administrations, have failed to release this negative data to give us this kind of insight that we were moving in the wrong direction that we had to change. So now we're in a deeper hole than we should have been at the time. Uh, that's an unbelievable thing that has been made only worse by the uh, pandemic. Uh, in, because of the COVID-19 pandemic school closures in Virginia, um, we offered less in-school participation to students than some other states did, and we're seeing that our kids have suffered. I don't think it, it takes a rocket scientist, and especially if you have school-aged children like I do, to see what a difference the school closures made in the learning of our children. Just imagine those children that are living in uh, in poverty, at or below the poverty level, trying to break the cycle of poverty using education to do it, and they're not being taught what they need to know to break that cycle of poverty, and they're getting behind their peers uh, in other states, and quite frankly, they're not going to be workforce ready. 
we are doing a disservice to our students and to our parents if we don't fix this and fix it now. And so I applaud Governor Yunkin for this report. And I think it's a wake up call for us all. I think even Joe Morrissey talked about the need to modernize our school buildings and education. But what's most important to me and shocking to me is that when this report came out, just like when Yunkin became governor, instead of Democrats saying, you know what? Yep, we got to we got to really uh, put our shoulder to the wheel. We got to buckle our chin strap and really do something great. No, they said dog whistle, false report, fake news, blah, 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 partisan this, partisan that. Ignoring what are core facts, these percentages that I just read you, and and again, making school uh, a partisan issue rather than making it the most important issue to make sure our children are getting the best education possible in Virginia. I'm appalled. I'm ready to work. I'm ready to roll up my sleeves and do it. I just hope my Democrat friends are as well. And that is your leaning right moment. What do you think about that, Herm? It's sad. It's it's really, really sad. And you would think, you know, in our conversation with Joe Morrissey, one of the things we talked about was finding issues that we should all easily be able to agree upon and combine resources on and work together because division and trying to find ways to discredit facts like that does nothing but hurt the kids. And, you know, in our county, we're very um, focused on workforce development because we're trying to recruit uh, you know, industry here, we're on 58, 85, Lake Gaston, Bugs Island Lake. And the thing that we're running into is industries are looking at our locality to locate, but we don't have the workforce here to support them. So, you know, it's just a big trickle down effect. When your workforce is not in place, you're not going to draw industry. You're not going to draw uh, high paying jobs that can pay tax revenue to further better the community. It's just a real sad uh, and I do know that our Mecklenburg County Public Schools has hired a workforce development uh, person that is really concentrating on that and working with our Chamber of Commerce and trying to have some, uh, you know, uh, programs where you can go in and work in industry, some apprenticeship type situations for high school students to get them ready to come out of high school. It just sounds like to me there's a constant dialogue back and forth of, do we raise the standards and try to, to give the schools and our teachers resources to get our kids up to that level? Or are we satisfied with lowering the standards to let everybody, pay. To let everybody get, a, get a trophy that will not serve them well, whether they decide to go to college or whether they decide to go to a trade school or whether they come right out of high school and enter the workforce, which as a small business owner, that's a, I mean, that's a big part of what we're trying to do now is find qualified, motivated people that have the basic skills necessary to come do basic everyday working jobs at our variety of businesses and others. And there's a real lack of that right now. And it's very scary, not only for the, for the kid and for the families that are not prepared leaving, you know, leaving school, but also for the people that are business owners that are looking at what our schools are providing and producing and they're not ready to enter the workforce. You know, in this, in this report basically stated uh, when looking at the past, you know, Virginia department of education through the past two administrations prior to the Republican Yunkin administration. And I've seen it happen because some of the legislation even made this where we lessen the, uh, the number of SOLs or changed around the formats. 
but we have created lowered expectations for students and we've redefined what success is for a student. And this is a workforce talent pipeline that we have to create. But we may make ourselves feel better by lowering those expectations and redefining successes. But it's the student who graduates who's not even proficient in reading, writing, or arithmetic who instead has been indoctrinated with some other bunk that's really not going to help them get a job or keep a job. That's what's hurting our kids, man. And we're paying, we're paying the price for these political decisions, and we're using our kids as the pawn. And that's appalling to me. And quite frankly, we need to stop the nitpicking back and forth between Republican and Democrat in Richmond, say, we've got a problem. How are we going to solve this? Because we should not be a state that says, well, we're fine with having dumb kids that we don't teach. Or we'll say, if the public school system's not going to give you what you, you should have, then you should be free to homeschool your child or have school choice or to be able to send them to a private school in the same way that if you're in a lower class economically, you'd have the same opportunities as somebody that could afford that tuition. We've got to give those parents those choices. We've got to open it up. And that will make uh, education more competitive and probably make our public schools better at what they're doing and make teachers want to come there and teach because we're even having a brain drain when it comes to teachers. Oh, and we took Votech out of the school, vocational technical uh, school, so we have a brain drain in terms of the trades. We've got to get off this this kick that we've been on and get back to teaching kids what they need to be taught and giving them the skills they need to have to live a great life in the Commonwealth of Virginia. And by the way, the future of the Commonwealth judicially is part of that workforce. You know, I mentioned to Fighting Joe, who who is coming up to replace our lawmakers? Right. You know, if the kids aren't coming out to even get a job, how are they going to run the state? And that's that's very good uh, point there, Shep. And we're talking about the basics, though. We're talking about math and reading. I mean, they couldn't even read a bill. The three R's. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> they couldn't even read a bill at this point in time or comprehend. Comprehension is a part of reading. And if you're not proficient, 30, 38, 40 percent, I mean, that's that's unacceptable. You ready to turn left? Let's turn left. Yeah, but I'm going to mention one more thing before I get off uh, my soapbox. Uh, we've talked about Invigo Beagles. You and I both have adopted a pair each of Invigo Beagles. We've helped get those over 500 dogs adopted out of there. The federal government filed a lawsuit, got an injunction uh, just a couple days ago against Invigo, where they found 147 dogs that were either in acute distress or malnourished, and they, they seized them. And they put on Invigo that basically that they cannot euthanize another dog without a court order. They have to clean up their act immediately within 10 to 14 days, and they cannot even sell a Beagle until they've cleaned up their act to the satisfaction of the federal government. Things are changing very quickly for Invigo. As you know, I sponsored five bills. We called them the Beagle Bills. We've talked about them on the podcast. Uh, but right now, uh, the federal government has stepped in. Uh, the federal courts have given an injunction. And right now, hopefully, they're changing their ways. And more hopefully, those Beagles are safe and have a chance at life. Because we've we put regulatory processes in place here in Virginia that will give those opportunities to those beagles to find forever homes, even if they are experimented on or if, they, if they're if they not, but they don't sell them. So I'm hoping for great things, but uh, it's heartbreaking to have that happening right now. And kudos to you and I think Senator Marsden mm -hmm. as a pay, for bringing attention to that. And Jenna not, Boisco, too. Senator, Senator Boisco was a great patron, co-patron of my piece. Appreciate y'all working together to bring shedding light on that that ultimately is one that needs to be addressed in a 
in a short order. So congratulations yeah. to all involved to try to get something done that should not be happening. And I just want to bring a sad puppy dog story to this podcast because we had one earlier in the first segment <laughs> involving The Rock. We did. So that is my Leaning Right moment brought to you by Charlie's Waterfront Cafe. Now, your turning left moment with a new sponsor setting off the sponsorship. Another two weeks that we already have in place. Go ahead, Big Cat. Yeah, this is today non-monetarily sponsored by Boyd of South Hill. Um, I just wanted to have a quick, I know we need to, to get going here. We've had a long podcast, but this has been a, all things considered, been a good one. And, and, Very good one. You know, um, Joe Joe was great. And Joe, you never know what you're going to get quite with him. And uh, But he's, he's, you know, in a certain way, we need people like him. You do. And in legislature, we don't need people just to follow the track right down the middle all the time. We need somebody who's got opinions, not afraid to share them, not afraid to say when something needs to be said and not afraid to fight. So wears his whole life on his sleeve. And if he doesn't wear it on his sleeve, it's in the front page of the Richmond Times. <laughs> I'm just curious uh, on my turning left moment. You know, this past weekend we had the, the all-star race yeah, in NASCAR. And I'll say right up front, that well, first of all, congratulations to Ryan Blaney for winning a million dollars twice. Great. Does he get two twice. million dollars? But I'll let you get off on that tangent in a moment. <laughs> but I will say right off the bat that there needs to be some serious consideration on how to revamp, revitalize, whatever you want to call it, the All Star Race. But the one thing that I will say is, I think the All Star Race should return to and always remain at the Charlotte Motor Speedway. Big has nothing to do with Texas being a bad track or anything like that. The all-star race to me and all the years that I was involved in it from a TV perspective and a part of the support races of that weekend, whether it be truck racing, all that, is it was an extra week that all the teams and their families and friends could be at home and bring their families, friends, wives, kids, everything to the racetrack to enjoy all the activities of All-Star Week. And when you take that away and make all the teams travel to Texas for an All-Star exhibition, and in the price of fuel now, you give Blaney a million dollars, well, he spent a half million dollars putting fuel in the transport truck, <laughs> getting back home. But really, you know, there, there's people that, that have opinions of how exciting the race was or lack thereof and all that. I know the people at Texas Motor Speedway, did everything that they could to make it an event. But I always view the all-star race as an opportunity for the teams and the, not just the drivers, but the crew members, all the people that travel an extra week at home. And, and more importantly than that, uh, an opportunity to bring their families to the racetrack to enjoy racing in a non-points less Contentious. Contentious environment, you know, for a week. And I always enjoy that. Look forward to that. Being in Charlotte for two weeks with everybody's family and friends. And so I hope that not just NASCAR, because, you know, SMI, Speedway Motorsports, they own the rights to the all-star race. That's why it's always going to be at an SMI-owned track. But I think let's not lose sight of the fact that Charlotte Motor Speedway and the Charlotte, the greater Charlotte area, area is home to probably 90% of everybody involved in NASCAR. And I hope they'll consider taking it back to Charlotte, if for no other reason, that one, 
that everybody can enjoy an extra week at home, no travel, and have their kids and family at the racetrack to see what dad does or what mom does or what uncle does or what niece does or whatever. Have them all at the track to enjoy it. Well, l- let me ask you this, though. So you didn't enjoy the race? I did not. I, I've gotten over complaining about everything. But if you want me to say, ask, if you're asking me that I sit home, was I on the edge of my seat watching that race? No, I was not. Okay. Well, I mean, I liked some parts of it. I, I liked the qualifying, especially when it got down to. But they could do that at Charlotte. I, right. Okay. Or maybe why not go to one of the classic short tracks like they did at Bristol? Good. I mean, maybe like a South Boston. Or, you know, just make it different. There's probably pros and cons to everything, but what I'm saying is I would like SMI or the people involved to pay more attention to the fact that the entire industry, if you have it at Charlotte, is able to you to enjoy it, make it more interactive to the people, industry insiders okay. uh, that are able to, to um, you know, to, to, to spend a lot of time gone. I actually didn't hate the format, even though it was kind of complicated. I like that kind of to get the pole. Uh, you had to go through the uh, uh, through the uh, four car tire change and then do a lap and, and do it in the way that Kyle Busch got the uh, got the pole. I like that. I also uh, want to make sure that if Kyle Larson ever says anything, because he said when he was out of the race, looks like it's Kyle Busch's to lose. And as soon as he said that, then uh, Kyle gets a flat tire and somebody runs over top of him. Uh, so I, I don't ever want uh, Kyle Larson mentioning my name or something that I'm going to do something and then the negative happens. But I thought that was pretty exciting. And then uh, it was an interesting finish, um, if you don't mind, because you know you're the NASCAR guy with all the knowledge. My son Chandler and I are watching it in the bed. Um, we're rooting for everything that's going on. Blaney looks like he has it. They throw the yellow real quick right before he hits uh, hits the tape, and they make him run again when he's pulled down his uh, his windscreen. Wind uh, net. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. See, that's uh, that shows how much of an idiot I am sometimes. So he pulls down the wind net, thinking he won, and he hadn't won. And then you see him running around at about four or five laps, trying to put that wind net up. Denny Hamlin said they should have black flagged him, brought him into the pits because that's the rules. They're changing rules to make sure everybody wins. But quite frankly, they took a victory away that even the rules guy at NASCAR said later, yeah, maybe we shouldn't have thrown that yellow. I, I don't know what happened. That was on. that was that was the real mistake was NASCAR throwing a yellow flag 30 feet before the race winner gets to the start-finish line for a car that's up against the wall on the backstretch. Yeah. That was the that should never have been done. I think NASCAR admitted as such. They owned it. But there's no way that Ryan Blaney 100% adequately, you can't do it that with basically one hand. Why is that? You can't fasten it. Because it's to I mean that the way they're I mean, it takes somebody from the outside to do it. I mean, you can't with one hand put it in that way it you know, and have it latch sufficiently, hook it this way, and then it has to be tape put around the latch. And snapped. And snapped. It just, he had it up enough to finish, but you know, it, it was not it was not installed or put in to the letter of the law as far as what NASCAR requires you to do. And if you it worked out where it didn't become an issue, but let's say Denny Hamlin gets into him and he spins out, spins around sideways or turns over, that window net falls out. All of a sudden, Ryan Blaney's hand is hanging at the side of the car and loses an arm. Then it's a problem. Now, it turned out to be not a problem because nothing happened. But NASCAR would put themselves, nobody but themselves, in a bad situation because a bad call by the race director put them in a situation where they almost had to ignore 
a safety concern that luckily for them did not rear its ugly head. So was Denny right? Was Denny Hamlin right that should have black flagged yes. and pulled him in? Yes. Because that's the rule. And they did not because they're the ones that made a bad call in race control to open up that can of worms that should never have been opened. Some have suggested that perhaps uh, NASCAR should have allowed him to come down into the pits, fix his netting, get back up and not lose position because of the bonehead move of throwing the yellow yeah. right there before the you, finish. You can make an argument for that. That's not that's not in the rules. That's either. not the rules either. Right, right. But that safety speaking, they would have been safer to do that, but that would have caused even more people to be mad. So either way, no the only person is people are pissed. Not mad is Ryan Blaney because he's got a million dollars. Because he got a million bucks, he Minus, probably should. Yeah, he's got five hundred left. Yeah, Minus his cash. Yeah. <laughs> he, probably, he probably should have been more vocal about the call to throw a caution when he's looking at the checkered flag. Mm-hmm. But he chose to kind of laugh off the Denny Hamlins and the other people that had were you know. But ultimately, in a race like that. One person's happy and everybody else is upset. So once once the yellow lights come on and, and you saw the, the flagman, he had the checker and he's getting ready to wave it and he, suddenly he jumps over and grabs the yellow and puts that out as he as he. We well, also have to remember, too, that the rules for the all-star race are different than normal race weekends yeah. because under normal race weekends, once you take the white flag, the next flag ends the race. Oh. So and in this a has normal points-paying race, once Blaney has the white flag, the next flag, whether it be the yellow or that next flag, the race would have officially ended at that point anyway. So NASCAR couldn't have changed their mind. No. They couldn't have said, hey, that was but an error. For the That's All-Star really race, you have to – the rule was you have to finish under green. So race director may have for a moment forgotten that, just guessing – and threw the caution thinking that he was ending the race when, in fact, he was throwing the caution even when Blaney was hands down the winner and could see the checkered flag, you know, right in front of him. They made it – they put themselves and the competitors in a situation unnecessarily, in my opinion, where they had to re-rack them and do another restart. You know, the one thing you can say about this, though, is once again, another week and we're talking about the finisher. We're talking about something happening, which is ha- has not been happening in NASCAR – for quite some time, these next-gen cars, these wheels rolling out of the pits, these wheels falling off the cars while they're driving, and now a funky end to uh, to the all-star race, and here we are talking about it again. And we've got the Charlotte Coca-Cola 600 coming up next week. I always love that race because you get just a full dose of racing between that and the Indy 500. Uh, what are you thinking about that? Well, I enjoy that day of racing. I'll be watching. I typically do not care much about watching Indy car racing, but Jimmy Johnson – Good friend will be out there running his first Indianapolis 500, so I will be uh, watching that as well as the Coca-Cola 600. So it goes back to my love of the history of the sport, which is another reason why I say the majority of the history of the All-Star race was done at Charlotte Motor Speedway. So take it back there. Are you going to be watching that at home? Are you going to be at the no, lake? Where I, are you going to be? I don't be? know. I don't know. Who knows? Uh, after y'all making me tell these stories, I'll probably, probably be sitting on the back porch by myself crying. <laughs> With his therapist right next to him in a lawn chair. My therapist. With the big. <laughs> so. All right. Well, you know, that's uh, that. You know, you've uh, brought up some good points. And uh, my son Chandler, was. you make sure you ask Hermie about that finish. And well, you know, if, right you, if you watch it at the Lake Calm, I'll bring you over a bottle of uh, just crying my cup and we'll get it over with. Look forward to that shit. Do you want to hug it out after the show ends today? No. You sure? I'm angry. What if I just come up and hug you anyway? I'm angry. Are you I think he's going west when he gets up from this table. He's I'm angry. Going, are you going west to east? 
I'm actually, I mentioned this earlier, I'm going over to Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, to visit with a group of loggers, loggers, people in the forestry industry, and some farmers, and some people in the construction to discuss the crisis that we're in as it relates to fuel cost and availability for these critical members of our business communities. And uh, will you be on Maverick 102.3 so I can set my alarm? Tomorrow morning. Excellent. Will you tell Huggy Bear? Huggy said, Bear and, and Karen. Hello, Karen and Huggy Bear. Huggy Bear. I love them. They're great. And, and, and especially Artie the meat guy uh, who gives us... Artie. He sounds like Shep. I'm, I'm thinking maybe Shep's got a side job as the meat guy. So, I got a lot of side jobs. But meat, it's not one of them? Not one of them. All right. All right. We've already been off the trail, <laughs> off the tracks enough on this one, but I want to take one other opportunity to thank Pacematic for their support and giving us this platform to have these discussions that we hope people are taking to heart and, and learning from them as well. And uh, Shep, appreciate you joining us again. Thanks for having me. You're, just so you know, your invitation is week to week. It's certainly nothing permanent. Oh, it's <laughs> <laughs> Chef, you need a lawyer, man. Uh, I we might talk need a contractual this. lawyer for that. <laughs> it, we it, love having you, though, it'll man. Be, it'll, it'll be, be week, to week. Um, week to week. Chad. Uh, week to week, Chad. Week to week. Look, it, it, when you think about it, we're all, not only week to week, we're all day to day. Yes. We're all day to day. Yes. Yes, indeed. So, we're, we're, we're not like guaranteed week to tomorrow. week is better than you're fired, so. Yeah. Yeah. But thanks for letting us uh, come here to, you, to oh, the absolutely. dealership you work in, the great dealership. Uh, give them another plug, if you wouldn't mind, Chef. Boyd Chrysler Jeep Ram and Honda of South Hill. Man, it's a place to buy one. Place to buy one. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been another interesting podcast, our 20th podcast. We're going to go out and celebrate at the Applebee's and have an Oreo shake or something like that. I'm Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley, and I'm always leaning right. And I'm Hermie Sadler, and I'm turning left. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you again next week. God bless you.